You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since Welcome to the GGTMC. Good morning, good evening, good night. However, <laughs> however, and whenever you listen to the show, or even if you don't listen to the show, if this is the first time, welcome to the GGTMC. Using mm-hmm. sexy voices this morning. Hi, how are you today? I'm doing good. How you doing? <laughs> it sounds like I, I might be on a little bit of Xanax, but you know, yes, it's sexy. <laughs> Sexy Xanax. Sex Xanax. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are back uh, this week. We are on the Diabolic DVD train. Yes. Um, head over to DiabolicDVD.com. Tell them that the GGTMC sent you. Pick up a couple discs, mm-hmm. and hopefully we got a couple of recommends for you this week. We are doing Hang em High, the Shout Select release, 1968, directed by Ted Post. And um, Kingdom of the Spiders. As I said yes. a couple of weeks ago, 1977, directed by John Bud Cardos, uh, starring one William Shatner. I believe that's a Code Red release. I do believe it is. Yes. So that is what we are covering. Um, again, the wonders of home video, my, one of my favorite things in the whole wide world. <laughs> I love home video, and I always will love home video. Um, so a couple more to add to the collection uh, mm-hmm. We'll get into uh, covering those here in just a bit. Um, I'm trying to think of any other. So a week ago, we were going to record a week ago, and we were ready to go, but it was Mother's Day, and I had totally uh, forgotten. And true husband uh, uh, ig- ignorance uh, fashion, you know, that, that thing that us husbands sometimes do. And uh, I told Todd, I said, yeah, we're going to have to. I got somewhere I got to be in the morning, so it's just not going to happen. So we missed a week, but uh, hey, we're back. Um, I, I do feel like we're on a semi-normal schedule nowadays. Uh, uh, kind of, kind of, uh, sort of. At least it doesn't go weeks anymore, it seems. Uh, try not to. Try not to. So hopefully we'll uh, get going again for all you that uh, enjoy having a weekly podcast. Um, I understand. I, I, I subscribe to a few bi-weeklies and I subscribe to a few 
weeklies that come out, I don't know, every couple months. <laughs> but, you know, I know from being a podcaster behind the scenes that it's not easy at all to do a weekly show. It takes a lot. Um, so kudos to those who can do it. We did it for a long, long time, and hopefully we'll get back to it um, uh, just to kind of put this out there and stuff. I've started a new position in my life, a job and everything, so hopefully that'll put me into a new schedule. And uh, not to speak for Todd, but hopefully Todd's life will schedule. We'll get uh, a little straight sometime soon as well. And then, of course, you guys know about who've been listening for a while. You know about Large William. I think he's getting ready to get his schedule back under control. So life is doing what it does. Mm-hmm. And in the process, there's lots of cool Blu-rays being released. Um, let's get into what we've been watching. Uh, what have you been watching? All righty. Um did I do the hunger last week? Last uh, time, I don't remember you speaking about the hunger. I'm gonna say I didn't, uh, but I finally caught this one. Oh, uh, the hunger, Tony Scott. Uh, Tony Scott, 1983. Yeah. yeah, you definitely didn't talk about this one, yeah. Um, you know, for how prominent Bowie is uh, in the advertising, I was kind of surprised by how little screen time he's actually got in the film. Yeah. Uh, that being said, uh, this is a gorgeous movie it's very art house um as well as being you know very exploitational i don't think there's a scene in this thing uh that doesn't have at least one shot of a window with the curtains billowing uh thither and yawn and uh, you know shafts of light fucking falling everywhere i often wonder Um, with those billowing curtains i'm like is anybody cold yeah, right. It's like, aren't you chilly at all? Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe, um, maybe it's super hot, and maybe you know that breeze feels great, but mm-hmm. you never know. Yeah. Um, but uh, but Nip- yeah, I, I, mean, I should say nipples would say otherwise. Oh my god! Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> so the the film looks fantastic, uh, and it's it's a fairly eh, it's a fairly standard sort of story, um, but how it's told really is uh, what dri- drives me as far as how much I like this thing, which is quite a, a good bit. Uh, you know, it's got Catherine Deneuve, who is just phenomenal, um, not only in looks but in uh, in performance, um, seducing Susan Sarandon basically, um, and that's the long and the short of the film. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it it it's it's got a lot of uh, like really weird touches. Uh, you could certainly see why this kind of th- this thing is loved by people who love cinema, while not so much by people who love vampire films. Um, you can understand that, even though I would suggest that uh, they probably want to reevaluate it. I mean, just on looks alone, um, the film. And it's got a, a fantastic score. Uh, it's got uh, what's his name, uh, Cliff DeYoung, I think, is the guy, mm. uh, the perennial uh, douchebag in pretty much every movie that he's ever been in. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know he shows up in here, uh, so uh, it's got a really what the fuck kind of ending. Which uh, for those of you who have seen uh, films like The Sentinel or various other sort of uh, weird movies, it's uh, reminiscent of that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really, really dug this thing a lot more than, uh, than I was expecting to. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. I was expecting to at least think it, I was expecting to at least be pleased with how it looked. Uh, but you know, I got a little bit more out of it. Um, so yeah, there was the hunger. Uh, I went from that to rage and honor, uh, with, uh, auntie Cynthia Rothrock and, um, oh, what the hell is this? Uh, Richard Norton. 
this is a, a Terrence uh, Winkless uh, movie. Mm. The the famed Terrence Winkless, I'm sure in our in our circles, yes. uh, <laughs> the man who gave us you know stuff like The Nest, um, yeah. Blood Fist, uh, you know the good stuff. So. Uh, yeah, he directed this. Uh, it, it was okay. Uh, I mean, it really. This is the kind of movie that really kind of survives on its what the fuck sort of elements, uh, like Brian Thompson in here, who is just insane. Uh, not only his performance, but his uh, his hair. <laughs> He's got this mullet that just. Well, it's yeah. I mean, uh, it, it just doesn't stop. Um, and of course you have Terry Treas who's in this one, who I believe was also in the, the nest come to think of it, um, from Mr. Winkless. Uh, so yeah, she's always fun to look at. Uh, but that being said, it's, uh, it's very, very standard and it's really, I was kind of surprised by how sluggish it really is for all of the, the whacked out elements of it that you kind of sit there and, you know, dig into, uh, it really just doesn't move along. It doesn't really go anywhere that you would uh, excite you all that much i don't think um i mean the choreography is okay uh which is kind of a little bit um of a letdown uh considering the performers but uh, all in all i mean it's a it's a, it's a folding laundry kind of movie mm. um is how i would probably describe it to people if they were interested in it but there that's just go. me um and then I finished off the Stray Cat Rock uh, set with Machine Animal and Beat 71. And they were both right around uh, right around the average mark for me. Um, they were decent. Uh, didn't blow my mind. Um, I think I liked Beat 71 a little bit more, even though it's... Uh, it's really weird uh, how it, it treats these like these quote unquote hippies, uh, and I mean I think that could be said for a lot of things coming out of uh, out of Japan at the time because um, they're they're really just they're just weird man, uh, and they love their weird shit, and you know they they try and get it in here, but I don't think they get enough in, and I don't think it's really. I think it tends to, well. I'll put it this way: uh, the last one, um, Beat Seventy One, uh, it's it. You know, advertises basically as being a Mako Kaji film, but I mean, she's barely in the damn thing. I mean, she yeah. spends most of her time sitting in a room, right? Um, and it, that's kind of a you know a huge letdown, especially for somebody as magnetic as she is. Uh, so, I mean, these two were okay. Uh, all in all, out of all five of the films, um, yeah, I think there was one that really, really impressed me. And the rest of them were kind of like, yeah, it's not bad. It's a, it's not terrible, but it's not bad. Um, and that's my summation on that one. Uh, what else do we got? I watched this little picture called Room 237. And I was half wildly intrigued by it and half turned off by it. Um, I think it's – I mean obviously it's it's not really about – these wild theories that these people bring up or, you know, presenting any sort of evidence to you uh, that will make you believe or disbelieve them. Uh, it is obviously about, you know, obsession and art and uh, yeah. cinema and subjectivity and right. all of those sort of things. Um, and I think that that is really, really fascinating. I, I don't know. It, it takes a while for them to really kind of 
start making that clear. And then I think it, I think they also just kind of they kind of lose the the trail every now and again. Yeah. Um, yeah. They kind of drop the ball a little bit, and they'll kind of get sidetracked into you know actually just uh, following along with these uh, these weird thoughts that uh, well not weird thoughts theories um, that these folks have. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- that being said, I also I, I'm kind of ambivalent about their use of uh, footage from other films in order to illustrate uh, the, that these people are talking about yeah. uh, because it really felt it really felt on the note. It felt like Mickey Mouse and um, the uh, the visuals. Uh, for those who don't know, Mickey Mousing is what they and they, what they used to call. Uh, whenever somebody would have a, a score where like, you know, if a, a character bumps their ass, you would like have a little note on the panel, like, bling, bling, you know, kind of yep. that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and this kind of felt like that to me, the visual equivalent of Mickey Mouse and the score. Um, and I, 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 that kind of turned me off because it was really, really on the nose and really kind of almost a little cynical maybe. Yeah. Um, but uh, but overall, I mean, I came away from it, you know, mostly satisfied. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly a, an ambitious uh, sort of uh, subject to tackle, and it's certainly a difficult subject to tackle because it's dealing a lot more with uh, the subtext of what people are saying rather than the text of it. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they got it 100% right, I would say no. Uh, but they certainly put in a hell of an effort. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, so yeah, no, I, I would uh, definitely recommend that to uh, to folks. Yeah, um, I think I know you, was, I think you, you, you were I, pretty big on it, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. I think it, it comes down to the. Uh, I think the bigger you are on it, is the bigger you are on the uh, the kind of Kubrickism of it, and the kind of the mystery of Kubrick. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, also I totally agree with you. It's not about the film. It's not about shining at all, really. No, it's more about that subjectiveness that people they attach them to. You know, I mean. You can make a documentary about this, about any kind of cult film, really, in a way. You could probably make one about, you know, the Rocky Horror Picture Show or sure. or anything. If you found the right group of people with the mm-hmm. right amount of theories, you could probably do this with every film. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, but but to me, the people were the most interesting spot apart. And the fact that they would, you know, even if Kubrick did lead you down these paths in some way, which nobody really knows for sure if he ever did. But everybody does know for sure that he was into subliminal messaging. He was really into that. Mm -hmm. And it would be very much a Kubrick thing to once he gets into something to just kind of take it to the, you know, to the hilt. You know, he's going to, I'm into it. So I'm just going to put subliminal messaging all day. That that would be something that he would do. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, as you're watching this, you start to think to yourself, you know, these things are getting very specific. Yeah. And then you, th- uh, you start thinking to yourself, too. It's like, it's like it's getting very coincidental, too. Now it's. Yeah, yeah. Now you're I mean, looking, listen, now I, you're fishing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And, and, you know, this is coming from somebody who, you know, I've been known to stretch a point. Um, <laughs> obviously. Well, you're on a podcast, uh, you know, that's what it is. Well, I mean, not just that, but I mean, you know, certainly reaching for certain thematics, I've been known to do. And I'm, I'm more than willing to own up to that. Sure. But these guys, these guys really get like. Uh, yeah, weird about it. Yeah. Like maybe a little bit too, too, too. Yeah, I mean there is a point in the film. I can't remember what the point is. It's been a while since I watched it, but I there is a point in the film where I think to myself, okay, I mean, how far is this going to go? Yeah. Now they're you know they're going here and going there, and some of the stuff yeah. I really like. Like I love the 
you know, I love the Apollo mission stuff. I actually yep. enjoy that because, you know, that does seem to me in all the stuff I've read on Kubrick and all the stuff that's known publicly now, he did have kind of a, a wry sense of humor about, you know, his career and about yeah. the fact that yeah. he was very much a mystery. I mean, he knew that he was a, a mystery to many folks because he didn't do interviews. He, he just kind of, you know, he let the movie speak for themselves and he kind of let his, I don't know what the word is, his omnipresence maybe or I, 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 I don't know what the word is his kind of hovering above his work oh oh, 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 oh. um oh. yeah i know exactly uh, no i'm not gonna get yeah. it either yeah uh, so, but I, yeah i know exactly what you're talking about yeah 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 so i don't even know if i don't even know it's too early to be speaking in big words those five <laughs> those five dollar words need to go somewhere else yes they uh, do <laughs> uh, 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 uh that's what i'll yeah. say but I mean, but but that's the thing is you you start to I think that that's part of the problem is you know like I said but you know earlier is that you you do start to get a little bit too involved in the minutia of what these people are saying and the kind of you know your your credulity or incredulity about what they're saying really kind of draws you away from the bigger picture of what the film's trying to say and that's why I say it's you know it's an ambitious project uh, to try and say something that's so interior um, and so kind of um, I was going to use the word unphysical, but that's not even that's not even a word. So maybe omnipotent, immaterial, or not immaterial. Damn it! That's an omnipresence over. Maybe omnipotent is the word I'm looking for. His kind of general presence over his work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's to me, there's only two filmmakers that ever got the kind of freedom that Kubrick has and that's Kubrick and Kurosawa. They're really the only two to me. Well, and I would argue Woody Allen. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Cause he, guess so. he comes out and he says, Hey, I'm making a movie and they say how much you want. He says X amount of dollars and they say, okay, go. Yeah. I think the only difference between the, the, them two and him is that he was all, the reason why I think he always gets to work is because, well, he always did anyway. It's because his is always you know cheap, right? Well, sure. Sure. Yeah, but at the, the same time, yeah, it returns a profit. It's cheap and yeah. you know, he doesn't really kick. So yeah, but yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, I'm sure there's others too. But I mean, those those two, uh, on that scale, I guess I should say, on on, on, <laughs> the, on the scale that Kubrick and uh, Kurosawa seem to work on, that kind of it just that it felt more epic, and that they felt like they were left alone. Sure, sure. And I just don't think you know that's very common anymore. Obviously, uh, it's very uncommon now. <laughs> yeah, it's super uncommon now. Oh my god, everything is by committee now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Even the independent uh, cinema world is very by committee again. So. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Uh, what are you gonna do? Yeah, what are you gonna do? Um, it, it ebbs and so flows, yeah. man. Ebbs and flows. Ebbs and flows, just like life. Yep. Uh, which <laughs> we were talking about earlier. <laughs> so right. see that callback. Um, <laughs> so I went from this, uh, which I would recommend to people, just to you know, just kind of to tickle your your yeah. brainstem a little bit. I would always say mileage may vary on that one. I, I would agree with you on that one. Yeah, mileage will definitely vary on that one. Uh, however, on this next one, mileage will not vary. No. Uh, it is Friday the 13th, part seven, the new blood. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, I, uh, I, I dug this. I've been kind of picking through cause I haven't seen this one before, you know, and I, me with franchises, so this is I the, usually this make is it telekinetic one, right? This is the telekinetic one. Uh, Lar Park Lincoln is so, the, uh, so the, I'm also a big fan of this one. I, I like this one because I, it, to me, it's. Almost as, if not as ridiculous as the next one, right? So, 
Oh God, yeah. And well, I mean, starting with number six, yeah. it really. Yeah. Well, no, number three. <laughs> number three. Yeah, it, yeah, it took three movies. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, it took three movies for us to figure out this is getting crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, I, me with franchises, I, I kind of usually only make it like one or two or three uh, films into it, and then I'm just I just check out. Um, and I don't, I, I think there's very, very few that I've actually seen all of them. Uh, and this would be another one that, you know, I haven't seen all of them, uh, but I've been slowly picking through it, you know, here and there. Uh, so now I think I've seen, let me think here, one through eight and I've seen the space one, 10 Jason X. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I still got a couple more to go. Uh, it's not like I'm that enthusiastic about it, but I'm willing to, to give them a go. But I, I, I kind of dug this one. I found out, uh, on, you know, when I was talking about it online, um, that, uh, this thing had some issues with, uh, Paramount censoring it. Uh, so it's really kind of, you know, there's not a lot of blood in this. There's very little, uh, nudity, uh, or sex at all for that matter. Um, but I, I found that, uh, you know, I was actually pretty well enthralled with it for the most part. Yeah, um, yeah. groundbreaking. No. Um, you know, I almost think like the restraint or the censoring kind of helped it out a little bit, made it a little more, you know, like, uh, you want to follow along with it instead of just waiting for the gore. And I'm not against gore. I love makeup effects. I love gore effects. Love it. Love it. Love it. I always have. Um, but you know, every now and again, it's, it's okay to not show, uh, every last inch of viscera so yeah i think as, um, as time's gone on the slasher as much as it's known for its characters uh its killers its slasher itself i think as time's gone on what i find that i miss about it the most is its practical effects mm-hmm. and oh god yeah how much those meant to me growing up yeah yeah you know, that's what i really miss that that's where my 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 sort of sweet lovey like warm spot a tingly feeling comes from that genre yeah it's not so much well, my, it reminded me of my youth but it's reminded me of just how much i was really into makeup effects when i was a kid yeah oh my god absolutely a hundred percent i mean sitting there watching you know how savini poked the arrowhead through uh kevin bacon's neck yeah is fascinating yeah. not because it's you know it's, it's so simple but it's genius yeah, and it works. Um, right. And and it was it was that sort of thing where you know these these guys had to figure out how to do something uh, to show it on screen. You know, in the real world, it had to work on some level at some angle. Um, in the real world, you couldn't just run it through a, a machine and say, "Okay, it's done." And I think that also the thing about practical effects is that they they are is their imperfection. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I would argue that you know imperfection is one of the things that makes uh, cinema pre digital age. Um, or pre-digital production, uh, far more appealing to me, yeah. or at least far more fascinating, far more. Yeah. And you could call that nostalgia if you want to, but I, I would disagree with that because I think that there's, you know, it's the it's the little things, it's the the, the weird off kilter things that make uh, stuff more interesting, make them stand out, make them memorable, rather than have everything be bright and shiny and uh, clean and neat, and you know everything looks exactly exactly the fucking same. Everything is color corrected the same. Everything is shot the same. Everything. Every blood splatter looks the same. Every, you know, that sort of thing. That, that that's the sort of thing that I always rail against when uh, the, you know folks start talking about that. And you know, if, if folks want to call me a luddite for that, they're welcome to. I really don't give a shit. Um, but uh, I would disagree with that. Um, so that's my uh, soapbox rant for uh, for today. 
uh, in regards to uh, Friday the 13th Part, uh, part 7. Right. So, yeah. But I would, yeah, no, I dug this one. I dug this one more than I thought that I would. Uh, so, yeah, pretty good stuff. Uh, went from that to Annihilation from 2018. Uh, and I love the shit out of this thing. Um, speaking of a, a film that, that uses digital very, very well would be this film. Um, you know, it uses digital effects very well, very imaginative. Um, it's got a great story. It's a nice little well-paced but fairly slow build. Uh, I mean, you you can guess where it's going pretty easily, but that's not really the point of it. Um, and it's also uh, – I, I was kind of surprised by the, uh, the finale, uh, how kind of almost st- – Standard, the finale felt uh, for, for all that uh, the lead up to the the film is. Um, but it's got some great performances from uh, folks like uh, Tessa Thompson, Natalie Portman, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, uh, Gina Rodriguez, uh, Oscar Isaac, uh, Benedict Wong shows up, who I'm always a fan of. Um, so yeah, if you like if you like kind of cerebral uh, sci-fi with uh, a bit of. Uh, some really creepy shit like the scene with the bear and I'll just leave it at that. Um, yeah, I, I would say definitely check this one out, especially if you liked his previous film. Uh, what's his name? Jeff, uh, Jeff Garland, John Garland, Garland, Alex Garland, Alex Garland, yep. Alex Garland. There you go. Sorry, Mr. Garland. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I really dug his last film, Deus Ex Machina. And I really dug this one. Um, he's really one of these really, really interesting, uh, sci-fi guys. Yeah. Uh, who I'd like to see, you know, sp- uh, spread out into two uh, different, uh, you know, other genres. I mean, if you wanted to stay in sci-fi, I'd be perfectly happy if you keep turning out stuff like this. Right. But at the same time, you know, I would like to see what else he could do uh, with other stuff if, you know, he's so inclined. Yeah. But I would, I would definitely give this one a high, high, high recommend. Yeah, really, really good. He's stuff. an idea guy. It seems like. Right? Yeah. Yeah. A little heady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have. I've watched like 15 minutes of that, and. Mm-hmm for whatever reason, never went back. And it's not because I didn't enjoy those first 15 minutes. Cause I did. Yeah. Cause like those first 15 minutes really kind of grab you and you're like, what the hell is going on here? And, um, uh, I really wish I would have gone back and watched it, but I just haven't. Wow. I will. I will. Yeah. Well, I, I can't I, wait to hear what you think. Cause I did love, uh, Ex Machina quite a bit as well. Yeah. I mean, this one has less disco dancing in it. Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's always a letdown, but that is a know, letdown, especially if Oscar Isaac is involved, but you know, yeah, with the, with the, the billowy uh, blousey shirt that he's got. Yeah. The beard, no hair. Yeah. <laughs> it's always a great look. Oh my God. Yeah. But yeah, uh, no, I, I will definitely go back and check it out though, because uh, it seems right up my alley. Yeah. I, I would think that this would be, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really interested to hear what you, uh, what you think about it. Yeah. Uh, I dug it. I mean, it, it does, you know, a perfect no, but yeah, like you've been saying, the guy's, a, he's a, Garland's an idea guy uh, and this is loaded with ideas. Um, yeah, I mean, the older and, I get, and it looks beautiful, right? The older I get, and you know, again, this might sound like old man stuff, but the older I get, the more I want to come out of movies with, you know, I want to come out of movies thinking more than I want mm-hmm. to come out of movies thinking, wow, that was cool. Yeah. You know, I want, yeah, to think, yeah. I want to think about more than just the movie. So, yeah, well, I, but that's, you know, that seems to be a lot of, and you know, this is my old man portion of the, this conversation <laughs> is that, you know, you tend to get a lot of one or the other. Yeah. Uh, without that thing called entertainment, uh, yeah. so much in the middle, yeah. and that's really I, I think where, where a lot of folks drop the ball. So when you find a little a little gem like uh, like Annihilation, I tend to cling to it a hell of a lot more tenaciously than maybe I should. Um, but at the same time, I mean, yeah, it, it, it really seems to be feast or famine as far as uh, getting both of those things together, right? 
mm-hmm. um, and particularly today. I'm not, not saying that it can't happen. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. Uh, I'm just saying that I tend to run into it a, a hell of a lot less than you know I would prefer. Yeah, yeah, me as well. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the great thing about being us is we watch a lot of old films. Yes, yes, yes. So that's the the one great thing I can always say is you know, my wife always says, "Why do you spend so much time?" Good. Well, it's not only that; it's just you know, I, it's kind of like being a history buff. Sure, uh, sure, I could see it. Yeah, you, know, you could talk. Yeah, you could see it that know, way. It's sure. Kind of like, it's kind of like you know, you're looking to our past to kind of look to our future a little bit, and I just find it interesting the way we used to tell stories compared to the way we tell stories now. Yes. Yeah, and then I think about my, you know, watching my son, who's very into Instagram and very into YouTube, and like his whole young life is is YouTube videos, mm-hmm. and so there's no real narrative to his entertainment. Mm-hmm. And while that bothers me, I understand that that's his generation. That's his, you know, his generation is going to be much more. Uh, whether this is a good or a bad thing, I don't know yet, but it's going to be much more non-narrative based. I think as far as their entertainment and their media go. And uh, mm-hmm. I find that very interesting. They seem to get well, I, they seem to get their narratives more from video games and yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Well, they, yeah, they, they prefer that interactive sort of thing. Yep. Uh, and I wonder how you know with the uh, how much <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Uh, how much more you know, folks like you know you're saying with your with your boy and that. Uh, how much more interest they would they would how much more interested they would be in something like uh, say the hunger. Which is not really strong on narrative, but is very, very right. strong on visuals. Yeah, so that that so that has crossed my mind, right? It has crossed my mind that you know, and I'll talk about this, and because of what I've been watching lately, because uh, okay. I've been watching a lot of films with my son, uh, and um, he's been caught up in them and stuff. But I can tell on the visual elements and stuff, he he kind of tunes out a little bit. Okay, and I wonder if you know it's not that uh, you know I'm saying he tunes out completely, but he tunes out a little bit. Uh, I still don't think there's a more powerful medium than cinema when it comes to visuals and music and those two combinations going together. But I do wonder sometimes if something like, well, I don't know. I guess The Hunger is a good example, but I mean, I know we could, I can't think of another off the top of my head. Right? Well, yeah, it was just random because two, it was 2001, maybe. 2001, maybe that's a okay. a really good example since we were talking about Kubrick earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a film that I think, always has suffered from generational you know from the changes in generations and and um i don't know if my son could even bear (laughs) to watch something such as that um so it'll be interesting but then i also think to myself i'm optimistic about it i'm thinking well in 20 years though when he discovers that his mind might be completely blown right when he discovers that uh correlation in cinema between the visual and the and the music and and what these things can do to you and what they what paths they can lead you down and stuff, obviously. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? We'll see. All then right. he'll come back and say, Dad, you were kinda you were correct about this two thousand one thing. Uh huh. Or he might say you were dead wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. He might say that and I'll be like, Oh, broken hearted. <laughs> Please buy me the four K Blu ray. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh went from that to there was a crooked man 1970 uh with mr kirk douglas mr uh henry fonda uh it's got hume cronin um carl reiner um wait it was carl reiner wasn't it uh a a, a fantastic cast burgess meredith um john randolph uh, is who i was thinking of 
uh, Lee Grant, Warren Oates, uh, Alan Hale Jr., uh, Victor French. Great, great cast. Uh, direct, uh, directed by uh, Joseph L. Mankiewicz. And it was really – I really wanted to like this thing a hell of a lot more than I did. Um it's all about uh, Kirk Douglas plays this uh, criminal thousand dollars from a banker, uh, and he winds up you know ditching it somewhere, and then he gets tossed in jail, uh, and he's basically plans an escape with the uh, with all of his cellmates uh, is what it amounts to more or less. Um, Henry Fonda plays the uh, the warden who takes over the prison. Uh, it's really really weird because the. Uh, the film has this really kind of like jaunty little score to it, but then it's got some really dark elements going on. Like it wants to be happy and, and light and kind of you know kind of almost like it's a mad 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 world, but then it kind of it kind of wants to be a little more like uh, a face in the crowd or something along that line. Um, and uh, you know Douglas, the character that he plays, it's really fascinating because he's he's he is super uh, charismatic. Uh, but then he's also super – there's something way darker going on uh, underneath this guy. Um, and that's what I found most interesting. And I don't think that it really delivered as much uh, because I think that tonally it was just a little bit off balance too much. And I also think that it's not well-paced. It's over two hours long. Um and it takes a long time to get rolling. Um, so, I mean, it looks great. I think it, it's an interesting Western uh, for how just incongruous it is uh, and how very much of its time it is in certain aspects. Um, not quite as much as something like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which I, I think is a great film uh, right until the score kicks in and then I just want to strangle it um, <laughs> because I hate, hate, hate the score uh, for uh, for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, with a pa- I mean, it, it literally ruins the movie for me. Yeah, um, yeah I know a lot of but, people have that reaction to it. Yeah. Oh, dude, I can't, I can't take it. I can't abide it at all. Uh, and I'm not even against that sort of uh, that music uh, necessarily. I, I, you know, I'm okay with Burt Bacharach more or less. <laughs> not in this film. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, so yeah, I, I would I would recommend this to uh, to people who who kind of like uh, westerns that are a little bit off, uh, a little bit off uh, off kilter. Mm. Um, I don't know how much they'll enjoy it. They might enjoy it more than me. Uh, but like I said, I just think it, it's it's not really well paced. Um, it does have some interesting stuff going on underneath it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just a little bit, just didn't quite do it. Uh, couldn't sustain, uh, it, it could have easily been chopped by a good 20, 25 minutes. Um, so that's that. And then finally, uh, I did a nice little rewatch of a, uh, a picture called Flash Gordon from 1980. <laughs> and it's just as much fun today as it ever was every other time that I've watched it. Uh, it is, you know, beautifully trashy yeah. and trashily beautiful. Yeah. Um, and it's <laughs> dumb, uh, but it's fun and it's, you know, way more violent and sexually, uh, geared than, uh, than you might think, especially for a film, you know, that would seem to be, yeah. uh, aimed almost strictly at children. It really kind of isn't. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I remember even being a young man, I remember thinking this is, you know, I'm getting away with watching this, and this is kind of sexy. Yeah, right? Big time. <laughs> kind of trashy. Um, 
And uh, you know, that, it's, just, it's, it's got it's some... that Italian in it, man. Instead of <laughs> you know, Dino's Dino's behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Saying no, we need we need more sex. Is he now straddle his uh, his uh, lap there? Okay. Um, nobody cries when the the King Kong dies. They cry when my monkey dies. Uh, so yeah, that's what he said about his King Kong. Anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, there, there's a couple of good performances in it. Obviously, Von Sydow, uh, you know, uh, Peter Wingard is kind of fun as Clatu, uh, I think his name is or, or Clytus. Sorry, my bad. Oof. Uh, I just lost every inch of credibility that I had. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Topol uh, as Zarkov and uh, Brian Blessed, Timothy Dalton. Some nice little fun performances in there. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, I mean, you really – it's one of those films you have to see to experience. And I think that you know, this is one of the things that I love is that, you know, how much Taika Waititi took from this for his Thor Ragnarok. Mm. Uh, which just calls back to this thing constantly uh, and really makes that thing such a delight. As well, um, so yeah, Flash Gordon. I mean, you can't uh, you can't beat it with a stick. So yeah. that's that's one of the talk about a great example of uh, practical effects and sets and things like that. That's oh god, yeah, that's a, a great example. I love yeah, Flash. yeah, yeah. I love Flash I'm Gordon all- mostly for the sets. I love the sets. Oh, they're great. Yeah, that Dagobah set. Ha 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 ha. I'm yeah. kidding. Yeah, yeah. Actually, <laughs> I, I thought about the Dagobah set when I was watching Doom Patrol this week because. I was watching Doom Patrol when Timothy Dalton came back. I was thinking, how long has my relationship with Timothy Dalton been? And I was like, well, you know, my first rem- thoughts of him, my first memories of him were Flash Gordon. Yeah. So it's yeah, weird oh, that you like- watch that because uh, that's what I thought about this week. I thought maybe I should rewatch Flash Gordon sometime, <laughs> which I think I have on Blu-ray around here somewhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I watched on was Blu-ray, and it looks fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the the extras on it, I was kind of let down by, but yeah, yeah. what are you going to do? I remember every time every time I think of Flash Gordon, I always think of the color red. Yeah, it's uh, prominent. <laughs> it's a very prominent color. It's very like the very opposite of like a Michael Mann film, where I always think of blue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 one hundred percent. All right. yeah, I was kind of amazed by the uh, the lizard men costumes because they're really – I mean they're like lizard men, but they're really just kind of guys in lizard costumes <laughs> yeah. with like fake faces. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. What? <laughs> I know. It's uh... – it feels like everybody was on a lot of cocaine at the time. Oh my god! Yeah, this is this is probably this is what I would have wanted from Yodorowsky's Dune. Yes, but maybe a little more, yes. maybe a little more uh, existential. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure it would have been. In, in Yodorowsky's case, I don't think he cannot be non. I don't think no, he can he you know, be non existential. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of cooked into him. It's kind of baked oh. in there. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, that that is. That is when I, wa- I remember watching Yodorowsky's Dune. I remember thinking to myself, "Well, you know, Flash Gordon did some of this stuff just without any of the thought." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With all the all the panache, but not none, none of the thought. So, all right, is that everything? For yes, last- it is. Okay, so for the last couple of weeks, so we uh, I had an adventurous uh, couple of weeks. My son, you know, I, I think I said on the podcast that you know because the last time we recorded. In game have come had come out and you had went and seen it and yep. I said we were going to go see it and watch these films out of sequence. Well, we didn't go see it that day. We ended up staying home and watching Infinity War instead. Now, okay, uh, which is fine because I I quite enjoyed Infinity War. As a matter of fact, I'd probably say Infinity War out of all these films I'm going to talk about, Infinity War was my favorite of the bunch. Okay, uh, and basically that's because I was really impressed with not only the way they put all their plot threads together in Infinity War. As opposed to, I did see Endgame, which I'll talk about here in a minute. Uh, but 
I was really impressed with uh, the the uh, CGI acting that they managed to pull off with Thanos and with oh the, yeah with yeah. Uh, James Brolin. Is that his name? Josh. Oh, Josh Brolin. James. <laughs> That's his dad. That would be mm-hmm. an even more awesome Thanos. He'd have that gray hair. <laughs> 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 have Barbara Streisand on his hip. Uh, <laughs> at least I think that's what I don't know if they're still together or not anyway uh, I don't know um, but I really enjoyed the Thanos creation and the character portrayal well I think I think this performance really carries over any of the uh, the misgivings you might have about any CG in it although yeah. it is pretty good it's very well animated it is, it I, will is, grant, I will grant you that 100% this the quiet moments that I really found impressive yeah the yep. moments of, uh, you know, stuff that my son wouldn't have caught on to, but there's a moment in the film where he has to make a decision, right? Yep. And those quiet moments are some of my favorite moments in the movie. And actually, I thought to myself, wow, you know, this is the future of, you know, this is the future of this CGI stuff here. I mean, I had a few moments of that where I thought to myself, man, they, 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 they did such a good job portraying emotion and, and acting because, um, I've, I've, you know, like Steve McQueen, I've often thought to myself, you know, cinema gives us one thing better than any other form, art form I can think of, and that's reaction. It just nothing gives us reaction like cinema. I mean, it's it's the one thing where I think you can have somebody like Charles Bronson that exists, and the reason why he exists or Steve McQueen exists is because he can react to things. He he just looks at the camera, and you're like, "Ooh, yeah, I know what he's thinking." There's nothing else you can. I can I cannot really think of any other art form that really gives you that. Maybe maybe comics do in a way if the artist is really good. But mostly, I think cinema owes a lot of its, outside of visuals and music and all that stuff kind of coming together, when it comes to actors, I think reacting is is the key. And anyway, there's a lot of great moments where Thanos isn't pontificating upon his throne as, as more of he, as he's reacting to people's reactions to him. Yeah, yeah. And, this, and it really, Infinity War really is Thanos' film. It is Thanos' film. And, uh, and it is, to me... The the I, I enjoyed the first three Avenger films. I mean, I think they're that's a solid trilogy of movies. I liked Age of Ultron. I liked this Infinity War, and I liked the first Avengers. I think they did a very good job. So I'm going to jump ahead here now to Endgame, which we went and saw the next weekend. And mm-hmm. I did enjoy Endgame. We did enjoy Endgame, my son and I, but I thoroughly felt its runtime in a lot of spots. Well, it's it's two it's two different films. Yeah, it is two different films, and there's another thing that I don't care for in it. And again, this is going to be a very personal thing, but uh, but I understand some people will like it. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of time hopping, <laughs> and I'm not going to okay. say too much about it because I don't want to ruin it for anybody. Well, I think I would I would argue that part of that the reason that they got as involved in that as they did likely has to do with their setup for their next. Yeah, sure. Sure, I get it, thing. and 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 because com- I I can kind of see where it's going. I think comics most folks have done who- it. Yeah, comics have yeah. done it for years, and but I've always kind of dipped out. One of the reasons why I don't like the X Men, for instance, as like you know a lot of people do. One of the reasons why I don't like the X Men actually is because of the kind of some of the crossover events when I was growing up, the time hoppiness of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of just drove me bonkers. To me, it's like you know I just want I want a narrative and I want that story, and I'm not saying it's not well told. Um, I think in game handles it pretty well. For all I think it does. Perps. But I think that I lost interest at some point during that film. I lost a little bit. Now, only, you know, on Letterbox, whatever, take what you want to leave. You know, I give one four stars, one three and a half. So, I mean, obviously, it's not it's not a make or break thing. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's an overlong film that feels like it has to give everybody a moment. 
Yeah. And that kind of drove me bonkers as well. I mean, well, because yeah, and, and, yeah, and I, I get what you're, I, and I agree with what you're saying, but I mean, you also, we also got to remember that with with the the plethora of series that we have now, like series television series, where mm-hmm. you can you can you know develop something for months on end until you get a payoff. This thing only has X amount of hours. Yeah. So I think that that's kind of where that that comes from, you know, where you know we kind of have we have to give all these guys their moment, but at the same time we gotta we gotta you know drag it out so that we they're trying to give you some kind of emotional impact in the yeah. in the first like what hour hour and a half yeah, uh, and then you know speed it into okay now we're getting to the action now we're gonna you know yeah you know get this thing going and and finally uh, finish it up for you guys yeah I think that for me I th- I think it really kind of comes down to I think they they go over with the given people their moments like their moments could have been quiet and they mm-hmm. would have been just as effective yeah as I opposed can, I can to giving that. them their own five minutes or their own 10 minutes or whatever it is sure 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 so that 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 really what it what it came down to and there like i said there's some fun moments in it and stuff the comedy mix yeah. in the two films is pretty oh, good thor, thor's fantastic yeah and thor's always fun and they've done the right thing with thor cinematically because thor for years you know i used to call him boar <laughs> uh, when I read him as a kid, you know, I, I would try to get into him because I love the idea, right? I mean, I'm a metal yep. guy, you know. I love the idea. Thor's a very metal character in a lot of ways, you know. He's, he's long hair, bearded, you know, drinking beer all the time. He's got his hammer. There's a lot of heavy metal there, and uh, I would always, often, I would come and go with his series because nobody could ever get him quite right. And I think what uh, Marvel did was pretty genius in the fact that. At first, I didn't really like the fish out of water sense of the uh, sensibility of him, but once he kind of understood he's a fish out of water, it kind of made it all kind of made sense. And uh, I think they've done a really good job with making him an almost comedic character, the, the Peter, oh, God, the Peter yeah. Quill of the uh, of the uh, Marvel universe. And uh, well, not, not well, not the Peter Quill of the Marvel universe, but the Peter Quill of the Earth <laughs> universe of Marvel. And of course, I look forward to where that goes now going forward. Right? I'm not going to talk too much about it again because everything's so spoiler. Uh, worrisome nowadays but i'm yeah, you know, yeah. to say that i liked the ideas of what might happen after this um we then watched uh captain america civil war uh okay. which again uh i like the story of civil war i liked it when it was a comic i like the ideas behind it uh the film is fine um I think that the, one of the major problems that they had and one of the major pro- well one of the major problems that they had in this one as a lot of their films unfortunately seem to have is that they're they don't do as much with the villains as they really need to yeah, yeah. and number one number two they tend to and this is the thing that i think well, Infinity i think it's War what they, they got infin- right that's right that's what i was going to say same thing <laughs> uh, is that is that it wasn't them versus a gigantic army of uh you know characters although there was that there was also very very individual mm characters fighting you know individuals and i think that that's the important thing like you know you read most marvel well most comics in general it's you know especially even if you have a team it's usually the team against one guy yeah and i think that that's the thing that they struggle with is being able to do that and make it dynamic and make it you know the length that they need to and have it play out and i think that's what they need to work on because you know when you get to something like civil war i think it was a great movie but I think that you know, I always forget that Zemo was uh, 
the villain in it because I'm like, wait, well, it was just that guy, right? And yeah. He's just a yeah. guy he's sitting there. Yeah. He's, what the fuck's he? Come on. <laughs> well, he's I Baron mean, Zemo. He's supposed to have a fucking cloth mask glued to his face for Christ's yeah, sake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the thing, right? I mean, Zemo's a, a kind of a he's a great visual character. Uh, one of the most ridiculously designed characters of all time. Though, if you ask me, <laughs> I love him, but I love him too. I love him because he is so ridiculous, right? I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. I often catch myself reading comics, even to this day, and thinking to myself, "Man, if you walk around wearing this shit all the time, I mean, you, you're a villain because you're getting made fun of. You're pissed off all the time, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. everybody's teasing you. Like, why? Why do you have first shoulder pads? What are you? Do, what are you doing? <laughs> Come what on, you, those are awesome, though. <laughs> Look, Zemo five, most incredibly dressed villain of all time. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, I, he's up there, and then and you know that there's a lot of those. Him and uh, uh, what the fuck was his name? Disco. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember. Disco Dad, not Disco Dazzler. Oh damn it! Ah, there's a lot of characters if you go back through time and and look at them. Like I I was playing a Lego video game or something, and uh, the last character I unlocked was Polka Dot Man, fucking DC character <laughs> that I'd forgotten all about. I'd forgotten all about Polka Dot Man. Um, so yeah, Google that <laughs> and tell me, and tell me comics haven't changed. <laughs> oh, they changed big time. Yeah. Um, it was a uh, hypno hustler. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, hypno hustler. There you go. <laughs> but there's, you know, there's a level of cheesiness to those villains, right? That's almost like B movie. And that's what sure. we, we all kind of love that and stuff. And well, Z- and I think that that's Zemo what they really kind of, they need to kind of embrace that as well as, you know, they, they need to kind of have to learn how to get the two together. Yeah. Because comic books are comic books for a reason. Yes. They're appealing for a reason. Yes. And, and you know, it, it's going to get to a point where, well, for some fans, they'll just go along with it just because whatever. But at the same time, there's other people who are going to be like, well, you know, I kind of want you know, a little bit of both worlds here. Yeah. Or a little bit more both worlds, a little bit more uh, better um, integrated yeah. uh, from both worlds. Yeah. So we jumped from that, which, again, Civil War was fine. It wasn't, it wasn't to blow my socks off, but it was okay. I mean, we, we enjoyed it and. It was what it was, but, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't like it as much as I'd liked Winter Soldier. I thought that was a better... Winter Soldier was fantastic. Yeah, of the Captain America films, Winter Soldier is the one, no doubt. Oh, yeah, easily, easily. Um, then we watched Black Panther. Okay. And... Uh, yeah. It was okay. Uh, yeah, it's okay. I mean, that, that's really the best I can say about it. I really, you know, I mean, when it came out, you know, I, this has often been my, my soapbox film lately because, uh, you know... People told me that I have to see it and how important it is and stuff. And I'll, I'll agree with this. I mean, it's great to see a cast of African-American or African actors and, and of African descent. And it's great to see that and be the prominence of the thing. And that's great that we've gotten there as a culture. Um, what isn't great is that the film is very, to me, middle of the road and kind of yep. uh, it's oh, it's it's almost oversaturated with CGI. Oh, it absolutely 100% is. To a point that took me out of the movie. Yes. Yep. Um, and especially, and, and the worst part is at the ending, it gets worse. Yeah. So it's kind of the like, finale. I kind of compare it to the Guardians, first Guardians films to the second Guardians film. Like the second Guardians film's fine, but it's oversaturated with CGI as well to the point where uh, it, takes, bit, yeah. it takes me out. It takes me out of it a little bit. But th- that's what this did. This kept taking me out with its kind of oversaturation stuff. Now, Michael B. Jordan's fine. He's he's good in the film. Um, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, uh, Chadwick Boseman's fine. He's I, actually he's really good as Black Panther. I well, see, I think yeah, Kill uh, Kill Killmonger. Killmonger, yes. Yeah, uh, I, you know he's he's you know he he's one of the the villains that they actually get kind of right. He's yeah. well motivated. Yeah, he's well, got a reason to be doing what he's doing, and it you know works. Yeah, not only that, they cast him right too because Michael sure. Michael B. Jordan is is very uh, charismatic. 
And mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of that, every time he's on screen, you're drawn to him. Uh, which I gotta say too, I gotta you know I gotta give credit to Andy Circus. As time has gone on, I really think Andy Circus has got such a great face and such a great yeah. look, and he his performances are so animalistic. <laughs> yep, uh, his version of Claw here is. Uh, <laughs> it even took although me that minute, was that was a letdown. Yeah, that that was, but it took me a minute to even realize that we're talking about Claw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And my son's like, who's who's black? You know, he's wanting to know who's. Black Panther's main enemy, right? He's looking at it in like professional wrestling terms. Who's the yeah? What's who's the angle? heel? Yeah, who's the heel? And I said, well, Killmonger, but Claw is a big part of it too. And he's like, who's Claw? And I'm like, I don't know who's Claw. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> Andy Circus is Claw. Yeah, <laughs> no shit. He's got that great gravel voice. Yeah, yeah. And you know, he's obviously known for his uh, mocap performances and things yeah. like that. But he's really kind of coming to his own as an actor. Is you know, for this guy that used to be a comedian. Who's got this kind of great face and kind of great look, and he he can play heavies and and I've been saying it for years actually. You know, he's he's a he's a better actor than just the uh, Lord of the Rings and the King Kong stuff. So I would agree with that. So yeah. it's good to see him uh, doing stuff. Anyway, the film was fine, but uh, you know, if if one was a four, like if Infinity War is a four, Endgame and Civil War are three and a half for me, then Black Panther is more like a three. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of. Diminishing returns for me in the way we watched them and stuff, but well, they, I, tend, they tend to have a, a bit more of an issue with their 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 single, their, their, I should say, their origin uh, movies. Yeah, I think they tend to have they tend to struggle a little bit more with them, and I don't know one hundred percent why that is. Yeah, I mean, the best one for me so far, as far as the origin movies, would be the first Iron Man. I think you're right. I think when I look back on all those films, I think the first Iron Man is probably. Pound for pound, as far as origin stories go in the Marvel Universe, the best one. Absolutely, I would and, say that. And maybe even though I didn't like Thor at the time uh, very much, I would think looking back on it, I would think that maybe Thor would be okay. But I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at that again. It is know. okay, but it's really more utilitarian. Yeah, it introduced I, a certain aspect to the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe that hadn't been there up to that point. What's interesting is, is that you know I'm one of the few people I know. I haven't seen Ragnarok yet, but we, we will watch that, obviously. But I'm one of the few people that... I know that enjoyed the second Thor movie uh, because it was, uh, you know, it was that crazy curveball I needed at the time, and uh, okay. that's why. And it, even now, it kind of stands out in their in their uh, film and all the you know that that whole kind of world. It, it, mm-hmm. it you know, a lot of people put it at the very bottom, and actually, part of the reason why I think I might like it is not because to be contrarian, but also is because it does fail in so many ways that I find interesting. At least it tried, um, which I didn't feel like at the time other films were trying to do. Uh, okay, so that's that's the Marvel Universe. That's where we tackled some of that stuff. So good stuff, some good stuff, some not so great stuff. But yeah, out, out of all of it, I think what I came out thinking is, is wow, you know, I could, I could, I could have a Thanos movie and I'd be very happy. <laughs> oh God, yeah, yeah. Um, so I watched uh, some other stuff. Watched uh, Stagecoach, nineteen thirty nine, John Ford. Ooh. Yeah, good old classic. I, I had not seen Stagecoach in a long time. I remember when I was younger thinking, you know, I like The Searchers, that was, and uh, that was my favorite John Ford film. But as time has gone on, The Searchers has really kind of diminished for me. Really? <clears throat> yeah, and not not in a bad way. I still think it's a very good movie. But I think as time has gone on, I prefer The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance over all of Ford's movies. Hmm. And then I think I might... Sh- I think I like Stagecoach the second most. I used to like Stagecoach maybe less because Stagecoach comes from the era of very much uh, that early voice acting, you know? Right. 
Yes, yes. Where you got some people in the background doing silent acting, and <laughs> and then some people in the foreground doing silent acting, and then some people talking, and it's uh, the dialogue's very stilted and all this stuff. But I think as time has gone on, I, th- I think I like I like the story of Stagecoach more and more. And watching it this time, uh, I really did get kind of caught up in it all over again. Cool. Really I, I think that it. my my two uh, Fords would probably be my first favorite Ford would probably be my darling Clementine. That's a good. One. Uh, followed by the Searchers. Yeah, the Searchers. I, like I said, I think I don't know if it's the amount of times I've seen it, or which isn't that much, but maybe, you know, maybe five times or something like that. But I think what I liked about the man who shot Liberty Valance the most is there's very much the Western conundrum that's there, um, mm-hmm. which is you know, good man doing bad things, bad man doing good things. It's just I don't know. I, I, anyway. I've often well, we'll probably talk about Liberty Valance at some point because I don't think Will's seen it, and I've always wanted him to watch it. So, okay, so we'll probably review it at some point. Um, jumped on a couple of more modern films here. After that, watched the Predator, uh, the uh, the Shane Black. Shane Black, review. yes. Um, it was fine, uh, yeah. a little above average. Uh, some of the comedy misses. <laughs> a lot of it does. Yeah, a lot of it does. Uh, I know you know you, you having comedic moments amongst a group of. Uh, you know, soldiers and stuff really kind of helps build character and stuff. The problem is, uh, a lot of these guys, even though they were supposed to be building this camaraderie, they still felt disconnected to me. And I never really kind of bought into that. And Absolutely. as much yeah. as, you know, I know Shane Black actually has Tourette's or he did have Tourette's. And I guess you always have it. I don't know. Yeah, uh, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, it's not one of those yeah, things you so go think He He has it. And as much as that maybe gives him the right to. I'm not saying I'm not going to say this is politically incorrect because I think it's fine to have the Thomas Jane character be a comedic uh, kind of I don't know a release valve. Mm-hmm. The problem I have is some of the stuff he says is so over the top. It's yeah. like you know, come on, dude. I mean, <laughs> you know, maybe it's maybe it's me being 46, but at the same time, it's like really, you know, fuck me in the face with an aardvark. Yep, that's a little yeah, <laughs> I, you know. I've seen some Tourette's portrayals in my day. I don't think I've ever heard that one before. But, you know, I, again, I think some of the other stuff's good. Some of the CGI is rough. Yep. That was a surprise to me, really, at this point. Um, I love the big predator, little predator dynamic. Not to give too much away. Uh, but I also, the predator's a great-looking character, right? I mean, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a great creation. Um, it's just... You know, I I don't think anybody's ever done it right since McTiernan in the first one. I just don't think anybody's ever really done it correctly. Uh, I would agree with that. I think the second one came all well, roughly close. It although did. it was I mean, very I, much. I enjoy it, but you know. Yeah, I, I like it. I like it. Uh, I'd probably, I I'd probably go. You know, Predator One, Predator Two, this Predator, and then Predators. Obviously, Predators being the worst one, but you know, I'd have to go back and watch Predators now to see if it's worse than this one. Yeah. This one's only well. I mean, would you even go including stuff like AVP in this? Well, you know, I only of the AVPs, I only like the first one a little bit. I couldn't make it through the first one. Yeah, the first one's pretty brutal, and I, uh, yeah, and I and uh, I only liked it a little bit. But no, I would not include those. I feel like they're their own thing. Okay, really okay, because really I feel like that filmmaking and those those are two of those, right? Uh, I bo- I hope so. I think so. AVP two okay. and AVP one. So Re- right. Requiem isn't wasn't that? Oh, maybe that is. Maybe there's three of them. Is there, it might be. I don't know. Jesus. Is it really? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, moving on to the next thing. Um, happy Death Day. Okay. 
Yeah. So this is kind of a modern slasher, sort of, but not really. This is, uh, I'm not going to give, I don't think I'm giving too much away, but this is, you know, Groundhog Day slash slasher. Yes. And uh, did you see this? Yes, I did. Okay. So this one, talk about some comedy that's out of place. A little. <laughs> uh, although I do admit there is a, a great fart scene. <laughs> that yeah, as, as as bad as it is, uh, it made me chuckle because I'm yeah. I'm immature and I always will be. Well, and I'll, <laughs> I do grant it this. I think that the the lady in the the lead there, she does a really good job carrying the movie. She does. She does. For I know, mean, she's she's very talented. She's got you know. She does. She's not. She's not uh, hard on the eyes. No, she's not. I think, so, I think. I think the problem that her character has is I think they make her so unlikable. Well, yeah. In the beginning, yeah. That you you really have to root for her internally to kind of get behind her toward the back end of the film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She, she doesn't have that underlying charm that somebody like a Bill Murray does yeah, in, yeah. in Groundhog Day. Yeah. Which is funny, right? Because at one point she says, who's Bill Murray? <laughs> the, uh, yeah. I mean, the movie, it's, it, it, it wants to be clever and it's got some clever moments. And I think the first half is kind of clever. Mm-hmm. I think by the time people start figuring things out, I think it's not as clever as it thinks it is. Mm-hmm. And I got a little, I got a little tired very quickly. Uh, also, think I also think, and I'm not, and I'm not one of these kind of movie fans. The guy that always goes into any kind of mystery or horror film, trying to figure out who the killer is. I don't go into them that way, but I usually find out that I just, I just kind of do yeah, that. Yeah, it's not like it's not like a does. conscious thing. It's just yeah. like, oh, okay. Well, I think it's the red herring sensibility. I think we all do that, but yeah, I think yeah. this one plays its hand way too quick. Uh, yes. I think it plays its hand way too quick in that I wasn't looking for that. I found that and was right about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's, that's, that's not good because I, I didn't, I wasn't looking for that. I was letting, I was going to let this wash over me like a piece of bubble gum, mm-hmm. you know, that sweet sugary taste. I was going to chew it up, spit it out. Yep. And what ended up happening was, you know, me trying to figure out how they did this and that. Now there's a couple of good moments in the film though. I will say the, the parking garage is pretty good. And and um, there was another moment. I can't remember what it was, but uh, it, it's not bad. I can see why it made a little bit of money. I am curious. I'm curious enough to watch the sequel, so I will at some point. I, I'm, I'm having and hawing on it. Yeah. I will watch it at some point, so I'm kind of curious as to what goes on there. But my gem of the week, to me, and this one kind of came out of left field, but I remember reading about it a long time ago, and then it just kind of got buried. Right, it just kind of disappeared, but it's uh, in a valley of violence. This is the oh, the the western with yeah, the John Travolta uh, and Ethan Hawke. Yeah, 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 yeah. Directed by Ty West. Who, oh, that was Ty West. Yeah, who's I what, didn't realize that. Who's done nothing but TV since this? Um, like a lot of filmmakers, this is. If I have any problem with the fact the way the world movie business goes now, maybe this is why I pee on Marvel films sometimes. Is that because of you know these big blockbusters and things that they're just eating up everything. Mm-hmm. Um, filmmakers like Ty West and stuff are probably going to be relegated more and more to television. Uh, I really just don't think there's going to be a lot of these kind of films made anymore. Now, the Western has kind of had a resurgence. Um, it's not a popular resurgence, but it is a resurgence. If you if you go into your streaming services and you go onto iTunes and things like that, you'll see a lot of low-budget Westerns now. Uh, everything from country stars starring in these things to... Uh, genuine westerns. Uh, I know Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh, his directorial debut is uh, the Kid, which is Ethan Hawke and uh, I think J- uh, Dahan, Dane Dahan. Uh, that's a Billy the Kid movie that okay. I'm really curious to see. There's a 
Emil Hirsch Western out there, I think, called Never Grow Old. The Western has kind of, it's kind of making a comeback. I think the reason being is because it's a film you can kind of make on a budget. And obviously. Which is kind of amazing to me since, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you really do have to have some, I mean, you can't have cars in a Western, more no. or less. I think it's cheaper now because I think, well, I think car movies are mostly made with CGI now. They're not really made with cars anymore. True. And I think they're more expensive now than they used to be. And, you know, I think Fast and Furious, I know those who love those movies, I think they've ruined car movies. Uh, for some time, I don't think they get the car movie right. I think they, I think they get. No, they're, I think they're they go overblown. Yeah, I think they're overblown action. I don't think they get cars right. Yeah, car yeah. movies are about the car. They're about yep. the pornography of the car. Yep. You know, that's George Miller. <laughs> that's right. Hey, even if it's just a you know a four door LTD from 1973, you got to shoot that thing like you want to fuck it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I just think they they get them wrong now. And westerns, I think. So this film's very low budget. This film's very simple. Uh, Ethan Hawke plays a cal- ex-cavalry soldier suffering from PTSD. He rides into a town, stranger in a strange town. Things happen. Um, he has a dog. Uh, I don't think it's a spoiler to say it, but I should warn folks. You know, if, if you're if you don't like animal cruelty, you might not like the movie that much. Uh, but anyway, some things transpire. And um, then it basically turns into a bit of a vengeance film, like like typical westerns. But what, what's interesting about the movie is Ty West is clearly going for the spaghetti western. Uh, from the opening titles uh, that are almost kind of hand-drawn, like the Fistful of Dollars titles, mm-hmm. to some of the scoring moments and definitely some of the dialogue, which I would see some people getting turned off by. Because the dialogue is very Shakespearean and very... Uh, well, that's half the reason that I like Deadwood. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's very much that stoic kind of... You better best shoot me, boy. Because if you don't shoot me, I'll shoot you. You know, it's not. Yeah, there's nothing. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing fancy about the dialogue, but it almost sounds like you know characters that have read West Western novels, and you know they're repeating this dialogue. But it all works very well. I think the film is very well acted. I think the comedy is a bit strange. Um, I will say that, and and probably really hurts it from being a kind of a little small masterpiece, really, because some of the comedy is very odd. Uh, but it, but it works in the movie, it, but it's just, it, just, <laughs> it, I mean, I laugh at it in hindsight, but it's just, it's kind of interesting. Larry Fessenden is in the film. I don't know if you know who Larry Fessenden is. Very much so. Yes. Yeah. But Larry, uh, once again, Larry Fessenden put in another nice little character performance. He's very, he's very good character actor. It doesn't get enough credit for that. Um, Travolta is very good in the film. Uh, and it's just a reminder that he can be very good. Uh, but he, ha- he must have the world's worst agent. <laughs> I, I watched a half an hour of a Travolta film called Trade and Paint. Oh my! And uh, I should put it on my what I would have put it on my what I've been watching. We've been going on for an hour now about what I've been watching, what we've been watching. Uh, it's gonna be a long show, and um, I couldn't because it's so middle of the road. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> that I couldn't even get past it. I mean, Michael Madsen's the bad guy in that movie, and he's wearing the same costumes he wore in Kill Bill Volume Two. Uh, I mean, I think he just showed up from that set, and that was. 15 years ago. So I don't know I don't know how that happens. Is this, is this all he wears? Same cowboy hat, same flannel shirts, same thing for everything. Matter of fact, he's a lot like that character in Kill Bill. So it's like, you know, hey. Anyway, it's a super bizarre. It's directed by an Israeli. And it's in a movie based in the American South on stock car racing. So you can kind of guess how middle, okay. how middle of the road it is. <laughs> if that makes sense to you. Uh, it's very odd. Maybe it's an Iranian, maybe not an Israeli. I, I don't know if that's a you know a faux pas on my part or not, but either way, 
trust me, it feels way more American than an American made it. <laughs> it's very bizarre. Anyway, uh, this film, Travolta's very good. He looks great. Uh, Ethan Hawke is very good. Um, everybody's good in the movie. Uh, and it's, it's a lot of character actors and things. Not a okay. whole lot. It's very sparse. It's not a, it's not a very highly, you know, heavily cast film. Um, but it's, it's, it's a really good kind of B Western and it really does kind of, kind of harp and kind of jump onto that spaghetti Western kind of a uh, feeling in a lot of ways. It's not as stylish as, as well, we, I, I always have this conversation. Look, you know, spaghetti Westerns were stylish in some ways, but only when they were directed by Sergio, really, um, a Leone or a Corbucci, maybe somebody, some other folks here and there, but Really, if you look at the majority of Spaghetti Westerns, they're very much just B-Westerns. Mm-hmm. And this feels more like in that genre, but it feels like a really good version of one of those. And uh, I highly recommend it. I really do. I think it's I think it's very good, especially if you're in the mood for just a very simple Western. You know, 100 minutes. Very simple. Cool. I'll yeah. have to get that on the uh, on the old queue there. Yeah, but uh, one of my favorite character actors working out. He's Burn Gorman. I like that guy. That's a good name. Yeah, Burn. That's his name. Burn Gorman. But he's really good in the film too, and, and little bits and pieces. But yeah, I'd be curious what you think. I, I think it goes either way for some folks. I think some folks are going to find it. And I was looking at uh, some of the, you know, the quote unquote uh, look uh, reviews on Letterbox from some of the friends and stuff. One of my favorite things about Letterbox is I can put a film in, and then I can see who's watching, and then I can check if my friends have watched it, right, mm-hmm. and what they thought. And uh, I'm right on board with like uh, the Red Waffle Paul and people like that uh, with it and stuff some people call it middle of the road and i agree some of it is middle of the road but i think some of i think some of the best films ever made are middle of the road to be honest with you so um definitely a recommend for me and, and really a surprise because honestly i thought it was going to be a bit of a mess and it wasn't it wasn't because i really wasn't into i'll just be honest with you i wasn't into a western with ethan hawk and john travolta in it and I somehow I ended up watching it anyway and got caught up in the goddamn thing so that's always a good feeling right uh-huh. You start watching something, you're like, God damn, I gotta go to bed. <laughs> and and you can't go to bed because you want to see how this ends. Yep. Well, that's always the sign of a good movie, right? Yeah. Well, it's at least a sign of a good story of some sort, you know. Yeah. I mean it's, it's got you that, you know, you know, because I was, you know, I was fighting it. I was like, God, I'm fucking tired. Anyway, that's a long intro. Welcome back to the GGTMC. This is what we do. Take two, <laughs> take two weeks off, give you three podcasts for one. There we go. All right, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and talk about... Oh, yeah, also, you know, did you watch Doom Patrol? Did you watch it? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. You like that? Can't uh, wait. <laughs> for the end? You can't wait. Oh, to my God. <laughs> I'm loving Alan Tudyk on that show. Yeah. and then He's the, fucking fantastic. The uh, the scene with Flex and the, the first... Yeah, yeah. Where he flexes the wrong muscle. That's uh, <laughs> that's a that's a great moment. That was great. Yeah, it was fantastic, man. Come it's on. Just, it's great what they uh, can but, do. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm loving Doom Patrol. Yeah. I'm, I, and I also, uh, just as a sidebar here, uh, I watched the first episode of uh, Gentleman Jack, oh. which is uh, the HBO series based on the diaries of Anne Lister. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was uh, it was pretty darn good. Uh, I'm looking forward to checking out the the second one and kind of you know catching up on it, nice. and see where it goes. I'll give it I'll give it a few uh, few episodes to really hook me. Right now I'm. Mostly hooked. Yeah. Uh, great, uh, great performance by uh, what the hell's her name? Uh, Soran Jones, I think yeah. her name is think the so. lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic, uh, you know, portrayal that she I, puts. I, in it's there. funny you both. I, I thought about throwing that on, and then I almost threw on Chernobyl, which is another yeah, yeah. yeah I'm interested in watching that series. 
But then I was in um, kind of a dour mood, so I was like, you know what? Not in the mood to watch a massive environmental accident show. So I kind of held off. But, you know, I will watch it because I love my downtrodden stories. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Something about me and, uh, you know. The more the more awful it is, the more interested I am for some reason. I don't know what's wrong. I don't I don't know what's wrong with me. Anyway. Yeah. I think you you're supposed to go the other way as you get older. I think you're supposed to want to optimism. Nah. <laughs> but, hey, but there's but, a lid for every pot, man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And my lift lid is a lift. My lid is a <laughs> is definitely a dark lid. <laughs> dark. <laughs> All right. We're gonna take a short break. We'll come back and we'll talk uh I guess we'll talk hang 'em high first. We could do that. We'll do that. Uh, We'll be back right after this. That's the Aerosmiths. I, I, I like that album quite a bit, Permanent Vacation. And, um, that was always an underrated song, I thought. So I like it. I like it. No! <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like some kind of random scream out of nowhere. It's a good song. Hangman Jury, Permanent Vacation. Definitely check it out. All right. So we are back, and we're going to talk about some Clint Eastwood and Hang 'em High, 19. 19- mm-hmm. 60 and 8. Yep. So this is after the uh the run of um Leone films, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is after all three, right? He's he's at this point yes. he shot all three. Yes. But most people in America have probably only seen the first two. Yeah. At the time. Well, this was yeah, this was made yeah, because after uh after the good the bad and the ugly was made. Mhm. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think that the influence of the spaghetti western certainly shows yeah. in this one. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about that. Um, basic plot synopsis: When an innocent man barely survives a lynching, he returns as a lawman determined to bring the vigilantes to justice. Mm-hmm. So this one has a great setup. That's the one of the things I've always remembered about Hang 'Em High is it's got almost like the perfect western setup. 
<laughs> yep. And uh, it, it really is one of those stories. And this, you know, is it's not his first American Western, but I think his first. So what I know about this film is I know Ted Post directed a lot of episodes of Rawhide, or at least mm-hmm. a few, and that's where Eastwood kind of came from. A lot of the direction on this film. Okay. Uh, at least he had a hand in a lot of the stuff. So I would say that theoretically or kind of at least the kind of thought process you got to think about is this is Eastwood kind of taking control of his image and would be the next, what, 30, 40 years. This is kind of the beginning of all that for him. Well, and Post also directed Eastwood in the Magnum Force. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I think also Eastwood <laughs> directed a lot of that as well. Uh, I think it's inarguable, right? We 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 know that at this point, but uh, I think he liked to work with folks that he could. Uh, what's the best word? I mean, work with. Now, I'm not I'm not going to say run over. Let's say collaborate. Yeah, collaborate. Yeah, that's a good word because he gave them credit, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if he really wanted to be an asshole about it, he could have uh, taken credit for these things. I think the movie that stands out in Ted Post's career that kind of blows my mind is this one right here, The Baby. That is, <laughs> that is a fucked up movie, which uh, oddly we will talk about at some point because I think Arrow put out a release of it. So. We will talk about Ted Post. But if you look at his career, it's mostly television and not a lot of films. Um, but the films he did make, um, some of them are memorable. Night Kill. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's get into it, man. You want to lead? You want me to lead? Uh, what do you want? Uh <laughs> I'm gonna. I, I I think I'll lead on this one. Okay. Um. So yeah, I mean, it starts off pretty much immediately. Uh, it jumps right into the 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 situation. It sets it up real fast. Uh, Eastwood is you know moving some cattle, uh, and he he's set upon by this uh, posse uh, for actually sanctioned. Um, and he winds up getting hung, uh, and you know immediately you see some some really great faces. You see Bruce Dern, you see Alan Hale Jr., you see Ed Begley, um, just to name three. Yep. And um, you know it, it it jumps right in. And the great thing, one of the interesting things I found here is that um, uh, when Clint is whatever well, he has to pick up a calf, and you know the first thought that goes comes into my head is even when Clint Eastwood is being kind to a, a little calf there and he's helping it out, he still gives it his, uh, you know, what is this shit kind of face, yeah. you know, that kind of, that squint yeah. and that kind of grimace that he yeah. gives like everything. Yeah. Yeah. He, and he does it to that too. So even when he's look, being kind, he's yeah. kind of like, what is this shit? Yeah. It's so always, it's always like, it, you know, he can't be bothered. The, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. the, uh, the thing I always think about when I think about this film and I almost thought about putting a little, uh, you know, like our, like our King Kung Fu, uh, sound effect. I always think about the score to this film because once everything oh happens, it's just bum, 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 bum. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yeah. And I was going to say every time you said something that I thought was funny, I was going to click that. <laughs> <laughs> because it's so intrusive and invasive, that 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 music. It's Oh, my insane. God, but I lo- it's, it's, it's iconic. It I is, love it. It is. It's really good. It's like it's so overwhelming. It's like dun, 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 oh, dun, yeah. dun. Yeah, yeah. If you know, I also yeah, in that group, I don't know if you noticed um, when doing research, right? The... Uh, Where's he at? There he is. The uh, the world's most interesting man from the Daseki commercials is actually a member of that posse. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nice. A lot of people don't know he was a kind of a, a character actor before he obviously he was a you know the world's most interesting man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's in there. He plays uh, the Tommy character. It kind of comes. Okay, from. nice. So it's, you're right. This is a great cast. This is a bunch of you know just just a bunch of good good character actors. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know the interesting thing right from the the, the giddy up and uh, <laughs> like this that. is part giddy of. No, nice, I, didn't, nice I didn't even mean that. Um, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I tried to say that would have been a perfect time for the. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> is that the uh, the lynch mob here? They're not totally sure that what they're doing is the right thing but they all follow the captain that would be ed begley uh, they all follow his lead um and that kind of you know is interesting because later on once uh, eastwood meets up with pat hingle uh you know it kind of mirrors uh their relationship in a way hmm. um because you know it, it, this is your your almost standard uh western revenge tale or revenge tale in general you know it's about yeah. you know justice and vengeance and the cost of them right so right, right. it's it's just kind of it's but the point is that this is gray areas that you really hadn't been seeing up until we hit the spaghetti western and that's where you know you begin to 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 see a certain level of cruelty uh in this film um, you yeah. know, it it, yeah. it takes more pains to have interesting looking uh, and interesting acting characters like the hunchback mm-hmm. uh, in this with the, I think he was a hunchback, uh, but he's got a patch. He might have just been hunched over the bar when he when he meets up with the yeah. uh, Eastwood later on. But uh, regardless, um, so you have, you know, that more colorful character sort of thing going on. Uh, so, they, you know, this thing is, is taken. I think that Eastwood took a lot from the spaghetti western and put it into this uh, assuming that you know yes he had uh, as much to do with it in the background as uh, as we're saying yeah, yeah. um so it's definitely in there um and you know what oh uh, here's the other thing uh, aside from the uh, the the score um there is the sound of the gallows dropping under the credits yeah uh, and it's it that's very effective because there's nothing going on but you're hearing the crunk, yeah you know and yet that the sandbags drop and the the door swings and it's just it's fantastic it's really smart filmmaking um you get uh you get Dennis Hopper showing up being very uh, Dennis Hoppery <laughs> yeah. uh especially for the time yes um <laughs> this would have been what a year away from uh, Easy Rider right yeah so yeah 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 but he had already burned a lot of bridges at this point. Uh, I'm sure he burned a lot of things in general. <laughs> yes, most yes. of them into his lungs. Yeah, he uh, he'd already made a lot of enemies in Hollywood. It didn't take oh, him, God, it didn't yeah. take him very long, but he, he had a few friends, mm-hmm. and uh, somehow he ended up in this. I think it might have been one of the producers or something, but somehow he ended up in this for that little bit part. Um, yeah, he's he's in it for a quick second. He's not in it for much. He's just kind of he's, he's again he's just one of those kind of uh, he he gives you an idea of. Uh, the seriousness of uh, the situation is yeah, he really he really for. feels like he leaves this film and goes right to Easy Rider. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It feels like he just he hop skipped and jumped right on yeah. over to the bike yeah. and you know just rode off. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, there's the okay. Obviously, Eastwood doesn't die, so he gets brought to this town where Pat Hingle is the judge, and he's the judge of this entire territory, and. He basically tasks uh, Eastwood with um, being a marshal for him to bring in, you know, whoever he needs to be brought in to be put up on trial. Uh, and one of the interesting things that comes up here is that there's a, a character played by Inger Stevens, mm-hmm. uh, who, you know, every time that there's a, a new wagon load of uh, of jail, I was going to say jail bait, but that's not really the right word, um, jail birds. 
uh, she checks them out and uh, different genre, get the diff- idea. Different genre you're talking about there, Todd. Yeah, a little bit. So, but the interesting thing is that you know she's kind of as bloodthirsty as everyone else is, and it kind of takes a, a, a twist later on that doesn't really feel. I mean, it feels like it kind of had to be that way. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't really completely ring true for me. Uh, not if she's as intent um, as she first portrays herself to be. But that's just – it's a minor thing because I don't really think that she's – I'll be perfectly honest. I, I don't know how how important she really is to it. Um, um, well – I mean she is, but she's not – I feel I feel like that ad I feel like that whole angle adds a lot of filler to the film that's not necessary. Well, I think it's tacked on is what it feels like. Yeah. I don't think it's necessary. I think it's a very no. that I think the difference between spaghetti westerns and American westerns is prevalent in just her being in this movie and that whole angle. Well, her being yeah, her being as prominent in the film as she yeah. is. Yes. Absolutely. I think, you know, you have 100%. to have a love interest in American westerns whereas you yes. really Spaghetti Westerns, it can be all about the violence. It can all yep. be all about the, I don't know, whatever you want to make it about. Sweaty men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, movies made for guys by guys. I mean, that is, you know, the Spaghetti Western in a nutshell, if you ask me. And this one, oh, yeah. This one feels like, you know, we got to cater to the American audience a little bit more. Uh, also, I feel like, you know, Eastwood's probably trying to soften his image a little bit. Just a little bit. And by making a love interest, I mean, he, he would go on to always have the same type of love interest it seems like yes. in every movie yeah 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 uh, well it's just kind of a, it's just kind of a take him or leave him kind yeah. of thing and in real life he seemed to really have a type yeah for yes, a long he did. time there and uh anyway he um uh, i think you know it kind of softens him a little bit especially from the spaghetti westerns because you think about his characters in those films they're they're very much asexual they're very much just these kind of creations of violence right yeah so, yep yeah absolutely uh i'm, I'm so- with you Anyway, to make a long story short, I'm totally with you. I feel like as much as it's interesting the way they bring her into the film and the way she kind of always checks the, the pins and stuff and looking for the bad guys and the way she covers her yep. face because it would stink and all those things I like, but at the same time, if her whole – again, it sounds like a crass thing to say nowadays, but if her whole story element isn't in this film, I'm going to be honest with you right now. I think this is an even better Western. Uh, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um. I think that it might have been more interesting to – well, I'm eh, eh, uh, I'm going to take that one back. I disagree with myself already. Uh, I think that the uh, the more interesting relationship in this is between Eastwood and Hingle uh, because Hingle is A, note perfect uh, in his self-righteousness uh, and B, his relationship with uh, uh, Eastwood is, is sort of like the, the rogue cop and his captain mm-hmm. and it's also sort of like a father-son kind of thing. Um. You know, he, uh, the way that they play, you know, he admonishes him, but at the same time, he's proud of him. Uh, you know, he wants him to, to do this thing, but at the same time, you know, he wants it to be done his way. Right. Um, and Hingle seems to be, uh, when they actually show him adjudicate in court, uh, he seems to run a fairly, uh, fair court. Um, so if, if a little bit, you know, just, uh, cold, but I mean, it's kind of supposed to be, you're supposed to be dispassionate when you're, well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, when you're a judge, you're supposed to be, because you're supposed to be impartial. You're supposed yeah. to be there for the facts. Yeah. Um, it's very right wing. The, 
the judge in some ways. I mean, I'm not saying he's not doing the right thing. I mean, this is a, a simple. Oh, time. he is. He's yeah. He's a right wing kind of guy, but at yeah. the same time, he's he's got a purpose. And you ha- you know you have to admit when you're <laughs> listen when you're trying to to yeah, yeah. bring law to that large of a territory with nothing. Yes, you kind of have to be a bit of a an asshole. Yes, yes. So I mean, you can't really you can much for that. Uh, uh, but uh, I don't know. I got what you're saying. As I Clint get, Eastwood would say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what he, whenever you know the, you got actors who react, and then you got Eastwood who reacts, but always has to throw in a yeah. Because <laughs> he did it so well. He did do it really well, and it, again, it's one of those things where it almost sounds like you know, it's like God, I can't be bothered with the shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I always found the scene uh, where Eastwood's bringing him in. I always found Dern to be extraordinarily sleazy in that. Yeah, he's like just very, the, the, just the way that he kind of like cozies up to him, and the way yeah. that he kind of he looks like he, he looks at him, yeah. and he's he looks like he stinks. Yeah, and uh, one of the things I realized this time around watching it was the inconsistencies on the beard hair with, uh, <laughs> Bruce, with Bruce Dern. Man, it, it's amazing. I mean, one minute he's like really hairy, next minute he's kind of clean shaven a little bit, and he's hairy again. Yep. But yep. I, but I agree with you. Bruce Dern, you know, made a career out of playing sleaze sleaze balls before he became kind of the Bruce Dern we all kind of know. Uh, he's mm-hmm. still really good at it, right? I mean, even in uh, the Hateful Eighties in that very barrel, but he's kind of a shithead in that, right? Yes, he's absolutely. still really good at playing a scumbag, which is funny yep. because evidently in real life he's like one of the nicest guys <laughs> in Hollywood, and you know he always kind of struck me as this guy who maybe abused drugs and everything else, but actually in real life he's a, a, a lifetime runner. He takes real good care of himself. <laughs> it's just all the culture he was surrounded with, right? He came around during that time when everybody was huffing and puffing. Yep. Yep. And he, you know, obviously he's infamously known uh, in movie and who shot John Wayne, and because uh, I think in the Cowboys or whatever he shoots John Wayne, so he he always said that that made and also broke his career, <laughs> huh? Because uh, you know you don't shoot America's hero. Yeah, yeah. So I very always found that very interesting. Yeah, very good point. Yeah. Um, so this thing has. Uh, a lengthy scene in the desert. Um, and I'm going to say this about that. I think that that scene kills the pacing uh, for me, as it, these types of scenes do. It does It does hurt it quite a bit, yes. Well, I don't – yeah. I, these are the kind of things that really I, I tend to shy away from. And this is one of the things that I hated about uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly of film that I find exceptional. Um is that you know that long scene in the desert? It's like I you know I I understand we're supposed to be feeling the length of this thing. You know, I, I want to be in pain while I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> yeah. and that, that's the that's the kind of thing you know for me. I mean, like I said, it just it it just puts a a bullet right in the heart of the uh, the pacing for me. It picks it back up uh, afterwards, but it never quite never quite fully recovers. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think a hundred percent. Well, I, the, here's how I felt about the desert scene. <laughs> uh, yeah. I would say that he should probably take that one back to the yeah. drawing board. And it's, and it's shortened obviously than the good, the bad, the ugly. Desert it is scene. much shorter. I will give it, yeah. I will grant it that. Absolutely. hundred percent. But it is still yeah. a lot of fodder. Yes. Yes. For lack of a better word. Yes. Um, I mean, oh, there's, there's some story elements in there, right? That kind of come into place later with the court scenes and stuff. Obviously, also, I don't know if you noticed or not, but the prosecutor that was Sarek from Star Trek. Yes, uh, that was that was awesome. I was like, I know that guy from somewhere. Oh my god, it's Sarek. <laughs> no, but the uh, the Trekkie in me came out a little bit. The um, 
Well, you also got Ben Johnson. You got yeah. LQ Jones. I mean, the, this the thing's loaded up with faces. Oh my god, like, yeah. And and we, I'm going to say this now before I forget this point because okay, there are two actors I think that do this the greatest. So you know that kind of reaction you can do where you can move your where your forehead and your scalp can move at the same time. Yes. And your ears kind of move a little bit. Yes. There's two actors that do that better than anybody. Jack Nicholson's the first, but Alan Hell Jr. is the second. <laughs> yes. His sk- <laughs> his skipper reactions in this. <laughs> <laughs> yep, uh, and the way he talks, no matter what he does, he always sounds like the skipper to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He I'm can't. Always, that I'm, I'm always waiting for him to say, "Look here, little buddy." You know? Well, it's it's yeah, it's funny because yeah, he was in uh, there was a crooked man. Yes, that's right. Uh, so he probably had yeah. that, he probably had that same reaction shot where he moved his scalp at some point. He kind of did, yeah, because <laughs> he does that so much. Uh-huh. And, and Nicholson does it too. They both do it. It's amazing. It's amazing that they can do it. I mean, I, when I think of those two, <laughs> when I think of those two guys, that's the first thing I think of is those scalp reaction shots. <laughs> that's a very GGTMC moment. But the uh, the, uh, the 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 thing with the desert scene that kind of mystifies me a little bit is it were it were it, it would work if they keep it really simple, but he makes it drag on and. I think it's important to the plot of the movie because this is where him and the judge start to differ, right? Yes. Well, once they come back, yeah, once he gets back. Yeah, because he's talking about the two young guys. Yes. And how he wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the young guys. And I think that that's important to show, but I just think the way Eastwood and Post decided to show it felt very much like a Western trope at the time, which is the... Yeah, well, it, it gives us two things. It gives us, A, it gives us that, you know, Eastwood finally, you know, really, really won over... Uh, the judge, yeah, uh, it really gets his way into his heart. But at the same time, uh, he finds out that uh, yeah, the judge still doesn't really give a shit about his opinion. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You still work for me. Yes, you're still the uh, you know you're still on this tier while I'm up here. I got to make this big decision. You're yeah. supposed to carry it out. Period. And and Pat Hangel made a career out of this character, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, he, he's you know obviously he's in Batman, right? I believe he's yep, in, uh, yep. he's Commissioner Batman. Gordon. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, he's kind of to me for me this film. He's kind of the kind of hidden gem of the movie. I love him in this. Uh, he is so good in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his character has a really nice arc. Mm-hmm. And I, I often have found with Eastwood, one of the things that I think he does better than any other quote unquote movie star is he always knew when to give his other actors, fellow actors, the spotlight. Yes. He is really, really good at that, and I believe he lets Hingle kind of run with this. Him and Post do. Yeah. I think he realizes that Hingle's got the juicy part. Well, he also, yeah, and he also doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't. He's not afraid to uh, to let that guy, you know, let another character be developed. Yes. outside of uh, the one that he's playing. Yeah, I mean, he's it's, it's smart. Yeah, I mean that that's why he's had the career he's had. I mean that's why he's. You know, he's Clint Eastwood. He's not just a movie star. He's a he's a great filmmaker, and the reason why yes. is because he's looking to tell the story. He's not always looking just to, you know, showcase cat. himself. Yeah, showcase or, himself. You know, self-aggrandize, if you will. Yep. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so you get uh, there's some interesting use of uh, close-ups and shadows, and it's almost horror-esque at sometimes uh, in the film. Like a lot of times, actually. Uh, there's a lot of uh, scenes where Eastwood will have his hat down, and you you almost can't see half his face. Yeah. Uh, and you know, they really, you know, whether it was poster Eastwood, um, it's, uh, you know, it really makes great use of shadows, uh, in a, in a lot of the, the night scenes yeah. and even some of the day scenes. Yeah. 
um, you know, it's really thoughtfully uh, thoughtfully done. I think that might have it's been... supposed to, it's supposed to be kind of it's supposed to be you know kind of like a specter kind of thing. It's supposed yeah. to be kind of like it's not strictly a. Um, uh, a, a straight up western, and that's kind of one of the interesting things that you know, obviously Eastwood co- would come back to with stuff like um, uh, High Plains Drifter. Yeah, I think that that I think you you hit it on the head. I think that this is a precursor to High Plains Drifter, which is I think is yeah. the film. Oh, that, although that's a hell of a lot more overt about it. Yeah, I but, think that he's you know he's kind of working through that to get to High Plains Drifter. Sure, sure. And you know, I, I would think, I absolutely think that that's yeah. the case. Yeah, I, I definitely felt going back and watching it this time. And haven't seen High Plains Drifter in between the time I've watched this since. Uh, there's a lot of High Plains Drifter in here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But like you said, I agree. High Plains Drifter, it's much more stylized. It's much more uh, It's much more spaghetti western than this is. Uh, High Plains Drifter really is Clint Eastwood's, to me, His it is his spaghetti western. The one oh, he, yeah, he directed. Yeah. It's the one he directed. It's like the his most Leone-esque movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also probably one of his most, in a way, I don't know if adversarial is the right word, but I know, you know, people love it and people hate it. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I mostly like it. Uh, yeah. Um, I yeah. don't think it's, I don't think it's his best. I certainly, uh, ever. I, I'll tell you this. I'm, I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I hated it when I first saw it. As time's gone on and my film education has gotten better, I've learned to love it. And there's there's a reason for that. So you know, I'll you know, I won't get into it too much because I'm I'd imagine at some point we will talk about it. So Okay. Well that one yeah, that one and uh and Pale Rider, I've always just kind of been like, you know, I like them a lot, but they don't eh, not yeah. the greatest. Yeah, and for Pale, me. And Pale Rider feels like a culmination of this film and High Points Drifter. <laughs> yes it does. So it's very interesting to watch him kinda of work through these things, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and then and then obviously Unforgiven on from that, you know, yeah. it just becomes well, the and the outlaw Josie Wells as well. It's, it's oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot the outlaw Josie Wells. But, uh, now that one, see that one, I love. Yeah, I yeah. love outlaw Josie but, Wells. But but a lot of those films are all the same and in, in, in same scenario really in that. Yeah. Eastwood's character is a force of nature. Yep. Uh, a reaper, uh, as you said, a specter. I mean. Yep. That is the whole point. Uh, if you look at Eastwood's western career. That is his career. His career is basically judge, jury, and executioner, mm-hmm. and uh, probably nobody ever did it better than him. Uh, if they did, there's very few. I, mean, I could tell you that. I mean, obviously, he learned a lot from Leone, but I mean, and maybe there's a bit of Dirty Harry in some of his later westerns, but certainly, the, I mean, the Dirty Harry character is a bit of that too, really. So if you mm-hmm. think about it, so it's, 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 it's very interesting to me. His career is one of the most interesting Hollywood careers, easily. Yes, completely in agreement with you on that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the uh, the hangings in uh, in the share in the uh, judge's town. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but um, the hangings are obviously uh, a form of entertainment, uh, and <laughs> it's you know it. This is one of those things where you kind of, especially today, you look at it and you think to yourself, well, things really haven't changed too much, have they? No. Uh, and no. especially, especially <laughs> now. Yeah. Uh, with things like YouTube and, uh, yeah. and quote unquote reality TV and all that sort of shit. Yeah. As I've often said, we like to believe we've moved on from gladiator oh, games now. and, uh, hang public hangings. Yeah. No, not but so we, much. we just do it in the privacy of our own homes now. Yes. Yeah. I would agree with that. People are still people uh, ultimately at the end of the day and, either morbid curiosity or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it it's something that we are obsessed with. Mm-hmm. 
So. And that that's our uh, finger wagging moment for the day. Yes. Uh, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, but there's the the one big hanging that they have. Um, and, you know, I thought that it was interesting because they shot it, you know, handheld, like almost documentary style. Um, you know, the, 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 I think I, if I'm remembering right, that was the first time that they went handheld in the film. I uh, might be wrong about speaking that. Speaking of big hangings, let me put my pants on. Waka, waka, waka. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, the, yeah, this hanging was always interesting to me. Like when I used to watch this movie with my brothers and that, uh, because, you know, you had like the guy with the, who wants the tobacco, uh, and he just, he rips that hanker off of there and he's just sitting there chewing it like a a little kid with a shit-eating grin um but you get the one guy talking about uh you know he gives a kind of a um uh teetotaler not teetotaler the demon Uh, demon alcohol speech yeah 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 yeah. uh i was (laughs) trying to think of what the hell they called themselves back then but uh not suffering but uh, never mind anyway so you get that um but it's it's really great because once again it shows you know it has a little bit of humor but it, it takes pains uh, to basically put a human face on the condemned. Yes. Um, you know, these guys aren't necessarily good guys. Uh, they may have just been somebody who fucked up once. Right. But, they, you know, this is this is the point is that, you know, and this is Hingle's point is that, you know, justice needs to be swift because he says in the movie, he says, you know, people say hang them and hang them high. There's no justice in uh, Fort whatever the hell Fort he's in. Um <laughs> I need to look that so, up real quick because uh, that's the second time you've come across that now. I know. It's I killing me. I don't know if I can find it on the uh, IMDb. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, it, it, it's one of those things. It's just, it just kind of reinforces that this is the way that it's going to kind of have to be. Um, but then, you know, you get the – you get, and this goes back to the Inger Stevens character. You get where the movie really kind of falls down for me uh, is uh, after a certain thing happens where Begley and his, his pals show up. Uh, in town to visit Mr. Eastwood. And, you know, then all of a sudden the Inger Stevens character gets really, really, really involved with Eastwood. Uh, and, you know, the, the movie just just dies for like a good yeah. five minutes. It totally uh, cha- it totally changes, really, in a lot of it ways. It really, really, really does. And and I, I know the, that's, the easy, only- that's an easy criticism. I know some people might hear that and say, well, that's an easy criticism to make. But, I mean, the movie, it's a totally different movie when he's well, having yeah. a picnic with Inger Stevens. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's not it's completely out of left field. It yeah. just feels like a complete like you said it's it's a completely different thing. The only thing that kind of redeems it is the way that they kind of resolve or don't resolve uh where that's headed. Yes. Um kind of um I would have rather that, I know this sounds well it doesn't sound terrible because it's good for this character, but I'd rather he'd stuck with the whore character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The redhead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it seemed like he had a general affection for her. Yeah. And uh, I'd rather that than him jump into the Madonna character yep. of the Inger Stevens character because at that point it doesn't make any sense anymore to me. And uh, I mean, it, it's it sounds silly, but I mean, it just it feels it feels like a uh, I don't know. It feels like it's totally just added on in post Ted post. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it really does. <clears throat> Excuse me, my voice is cracking like Peter Brady. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, oh lordy. So anyway, uh, and then the finale also plays out like a horror film. You know, it's basically Eastwood stalking these guys down. Yeah. Uh, more than it kind of was, before, you know, before it was kind of like a, a hunting, 
Peck kind of thing, more or less. Um, but then uh, uh, once we get to the uh, – it's Fort Grant. Fort Grant. There we go. Uh, so <laughs> we weren't going to let it. that go. That was eating us alive. It was. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it plays out. The the finale uh, plays out like a horror film, uh, as much as anything else does in the film. And that's what, you know, like we said before, what it leads to as far as where Cle- uh, Eastwood wanted to go with his career and, uh, with his Westerns, uh, and even his other, his other films as well. Uh, cause he does have a lot of horror elements in a lot of his other movies. Yeah. Well, it's his directorial debut is a, right. It's a basically a horror film. Uh, yeah, play Misty for me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically a horror film. It's a good one. So, I mean, he, he likes suspense. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, he, he mm-hmm. does it well, uh, and economical. And I, uh, like I said, oh, everything I always read about Clint Eastwood, the thing that always amazes me is he's, he's a one or two take guy. Like, you know, yeah, he's yeah. not going to give you more than that. Yeah. Well, but the, another thing is that he's also one of these guys who understands both sides of the camera. So, you know, he's, he's, I'm sure that he gets a better performance out of people faster yeah. because he, he knows enough to, you know, you know, this guy needs a little more attention. This guy doesn't yeah. need to be talked to this guy, you know, well, I think and it's then, the reason why people like working with him too, is not only can he make people movie stars and he does a very good job at that and makes people like the real acting come out. But I think also that he is so economical. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd imagine as an actor, what I've always read about actors is, you know, it's a bunch of, you know, it's you work 18 hours in a day or 16 hours in a day, but 12 or 15 of those hours are sitting around waiting for the shots to be made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, well, absolutely. And yeah, yeah. Eastwood is more, you know, let's get them in there. Let's knock it out. Let's get on to the next thing. So, yep. you know, they're working like, you know, five hours a day. And I'd yeah. imagine, you know, any human being would tell you, I don't care how much of a hardworking human being you are. <laughs> if you told me I could work five hours and get paid for the same amount of money of working 18, I'm going to I'm going to choose the five hour option. <laughs> Fuck yeah! Uh, so, uh, yeah. So I mean, yeah, the film could definitely stand to get tightened down a little bit. Uh, but yeah, for it's, me, it's I think long, that yeah. I, it still does deliver, uh, both as a western and you know as kind of a an examination uh, of you know the sort of vengeance thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it works, right? I mean, it, I saw this movie a lot. This this was uh, when I was growing up. I had my best friend growing up uh, lived next door. His dad was a truck driver and. His dad would come home, obviously, every other week or something. He used to, this was back when truck drivers had to be on the road a lot more. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was probably, you know, popping pills and everything. Matter of fact, I know he was, uh, you know, doing all the things that truck drivers used to do where they drive 24, 48 hours in a row. But he'd come back, uh, he'd, be, he'd work like a week on, week and a half on, and then he'd take like a week off. And every time he'd come back, he'd want, uh, he'd want us to take him to the video store. He didn't really mm-hmm. understand the video store. But he got that if he went there, he could check some movies out. And he thought this was really cool. So we'd take him, and he always would pick. There's two films that he would always pick. This is one of them, Hang em High. And the other one was uh, the uh, the Gregory Peck MacArthur. I don't, I don't know what his fascination was. Really? Yeah, I don't know what his fascination with that film was, but, man, he loved that movie. Huh. And we, without fail, you know, that was back in the day when, you know, rent six, get two free, and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, those two would always be in the mix. <laughs> Nice. So I would clearly say that this was one of his favorites, but he wasn't adverse to uh, more modern takes too. He he loved RoboCop and stuff like that. But again, RoboCop, if you think about it, is very much a modern western. And in a lot of ways, it's a hundred percent a western. Yeah, and it's it's very much a you know, I, you know, I think right wing politics make for great entertainment, right? I mean, I think mm-hmm. they they do. It doesn't mean I support them, but I think they make for great entertainment. I mean, Death Wish and this and 
and and and RoboCop and all that stuff. There's there's a there's a a, a guilt free association with watching that. And even though I might think that sometimes some of the ways that you know a criminal is guilty, boom, shoot him, kill him, capital punishment, yep. rah rah rah. Uh, even though that might that that's emotional and that might hit me occasionally. Obviously, that's not my politics in real life. That's not who I am. So yeah, I'm much more of a pacifist and much more of a, a humanist in that way. And you know, blah blah blah. I'm not going to get into all that. But for my entertainment, I'm I'm very. <laughs> I clearly understand that I'm very. <laughs> Uh, I very uh, love, very much love the the, the kind of right wing sensibility because it's. It, I think the reason why is because it's black and white. You know, you're the good guy, I'm the bad guy. You kill me because I did something wrong. It's very simple, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. a, and it's, it goes back to Shakespeare. It's very, it's very simple. You want to keep it as simple as possible. But where all the interesting things happen is in the gray areas. And I think what the Spaghetti Western did and what Eastwood did with the Western in the '70s and everything is they start to explore the gray areas. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. once you start to explore those, you get into the human elements of, you know, you get away from the politics and you get into the human elements. You get into the, the characters that are affected outside of that, the moms and the daughters and the sons, the, the grandfathers, you name it. You know, it's it's easy. <clears throat> now my voice is getting all froggy. It's Damn easy it. to be very black and white. Uh, Henry Fonda versus Charles Bronson. It's very easy. I always use that example because... As I've said before on the show, people know Todd's Skype picture is Henry Fonda from What's Part Time <laughs> in the West. But so I see that the whole time we're recording. But I but I think of that, you know, I think of, you know, it's it's easy to think about that. But what I think the genius of Once Upon the Time in the West is, is it makes you wait so long to figure out why Bronson's character is doing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And once you find out, you're like, oh, so it is a human element after all. It has nothing to do with just being a spaghetti western. Yep. It has everything to do with vengeance in its own, right? So, uh, and I think that's a genius move by him, actually, because, you know, I remember the first time I saw him, I think, what the fuck is going on? Why is this character walking around blowing on this harp? What is going on? It's like Steven Tyler and Hangman Jury. Me and my old lady are sitting in the shade. Yeah. Oh, <clears throat> my voice. Anyway, I'll regret that later. Um,. <laughs> But I, but I think that you know that that works for these types of, especially for the Western, the Western in general. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, it's frontier times. It's, it's, it's America finding its footing. It's, uh, uh, Puritan, uh, yeah. which is you know, an ugly sensibility in my opinion, but understood because it's early America, right? Uh, what's sad about Purit- Puritanism? Is that the word? I think yes, it is. What's what's sad about that is that it still exists at this point. It really, you know, I, everybody has a right to believe what they want to believe, but I believe that you know that that, that doesn't get us anywhere. Mm-hmm. We have to move forward from that. So, but I think in this genre, it works and it always will work um, because it, it 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 just establishes that way of thinking. I think about you know the fact that I watched two westerns this past week, right? The Stagecoach and in the Valley, in the Valley of Violence, both of them have very much the same sensibilities in a lot of ways. And uh, it's very interesting. The only difference I would say is in a valley of violence is kind of talking about PTSD and the effects war has on people. Whereas this kind of this kind of touches on some of that stuff, right? A little bit, uh, a little, not not much, but a little. But these ex-soldiers who get lost and kind of end up in the wild west and become gunfighters or criminals or ne'er do wells of some sort or another. Never didn't think I'd use the word ne'er do well this morning. 
Um, but you know, they're, they're, they're kind of fun. Uh, I really like the cast of this thing. I figured you were done talking about it cause you kind of got, quiet. uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I really like the cast of this thing. I think that's really where the strength of this movie is and the strength of almost, if you go back and look at all of Eastwood's films, I think one of the key components to almost every movie he's made is casting. He really has an eye for actors and uh, I think he really appreciates actors. Mm-hmm. I think he really under. I think he really likes the craft of acting. I think he really understands that film acting is a different type of acting than stage acting. I think he gets that. I think he's always gotten that. Uh, I think he really, you know, the fact that he used Gene Hackman like he did. I think you know yes. Hackman's one of the great film actors of all time. Yes. Uh, and he just he knows how to use actors. I mean, he really does. And again, he's not completely responsible for directing this film but this is the first of the mal paso productions mm-hmm. uh which is his production company and you can definitely tell he's got a lot of personal interest vented into this project and uh, even though ted post is given the credit again i think he was just a generally nice guy in that way i think that he um would get let ted have the credit because he probably did make ted do the majority of the heavy lifting Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think he is a filmmaker who's learned by trade. I think he's not a, obviously he's not a trained filmmaker. He's learned as he's went along. So Ted probably knew how to get things going and get, keep things moving. But I'm sure Eastwood was probably right on his, uh, right on his shoulder the whole time saying, well, this is what I'd like to do. Yeah. 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 Uh, can you tell me? Well, how to and, do and, and certainly a lot of that probably came from their relationship previous to, uh, Eastwood going over yeah. to Europe in the first place. Well, and I always think about the credits of, uh, Unforgiven. I think at the end of Unforgiven, uh, Leone thinks. Uh, I think he says for Sergio and uh, Don. Yeah, Don Siegel. Yeah, who he you know two of the most pivotal directors of his career. Mm-hmm. And I think the two directors he probably learned the most from. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I think he wanted to be a filmmaker because of Sergio, and learned I think how to be a real filmmaker with Don Siegel, who was really good at uh, pumping films out. Uh, low budget, but effectively. At least that's what the, the from what everything I've ever read about Don Siegel is he was really good at coming in under budget and and uh, very very efficient. Mm-hmm. And I think Eastwood probably learned a lot from him. Sergio was the opposite of efficient. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> he was slightly less efficient. Yeah. Uh, he was he seemed to be obsessed with uh, trying to one up David Lean all the time. <laughs> seemed to be like a major obsession for Sergio. I don't know what that was, but he really became obsessed with that in his later career. You can see some, I mean, what very few interviews I've seen with Sergio. Uh, I know that he, he talks a lot about David Lean. So, I mean, he, for some reason, I, I think he got an unhealthy obsession with him. And uh, I don't know what, what happened, uh, but uh, he really got this unhealthy obsession with epics. And honestly, I think it shortened his life. I think. Uh, uh, well, yeah, he, the way that he would uh, kind of labor over these things yes yeah i think it shortened his life i really do he didn't take great care of himself anyway but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, i mean he was an eater and a smoker and a drinker and he's a man's man but i think that the way he worked and the way he labored over things i mean if you look at his film career right the the dollars trilogy is pretty much a normal tract it's you know one after the other maybe maybe a few years in between mm-hmm. but after dollars they it's almost kubrickian uh there's a lot of time in between, right? Because after, after, uh, not after Dollars, well, after the Dollars trilogy, but after Good and the Bad and the Ugly, you only got, right, Once Upon a Time in the West, Fistful of Dynamite, Once Upon a Time in America? Uh, so some, yes. 
I think it's only three films after that, right? So, uh, yep, yep. I think he only directed seven or eight films total. Uh, yeah, there's Colossus of Rhodes before that. Yep, yep. Uh, and I think there may have been something else, but I don't. I'm not 100 percent on yeah. that. So it's crazy to me when you go back and look at that. That you know, what you learn from that is you know maybe that meticulousness. I mean, obviously he gave us arguably six great films. Yeah. Um, but uh, I left Colossus Roads out. I have to leave it out because I haven't seen it. <laughs> but it might Wait, be great. Are you, are, you're including Duck You Sucker in there? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, there's things I like about. Oh, you know what? Is Duck You Sucker? You know, that's I'm, Fistful of Dynamite. Yeah, that is that is Fistful of Dynamite. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I consider it a. Let me just say that I find it very, very, very interesting, <laughs> and I'll leave it at that for now. <laughs> we'll probably cover it at some point. Well, uh, yeah, I, I know Will's talked about covering it for years. If Will was here right now, he'd be going Sean, Sean, Sean. <laughs> kind of like the, but that's uh, that's our that's our ducky sucker thing. We've been doing yep. that since for ten years now. And we've, been, we've been probably been talking about covering it for ten years too, going on eleven. Um, anyway, get back to Hang 'em High. The film is is efficient, but only in uh, only in the beginning, the first act. And I believe the last act there, there's that, that second act with the Inger Stevens character mm-hmm. and a few other tidbits that I just, even watching it this time, I just don't care for. And no, I would completely agree with and that. And Usually I can find some kind of reason to enjoy something, but this really does feel draggy. I mean, for yeah, lack of a yeah. better word, and I can see where that might take people out. But uh, all the other stuff is good. The other thing, the only other thing. Well, the good I, thing is that it does kind of it does kind of bring it back around at the end to. Yeah. To, at the very end, you know, it yeah. brings it back around to get yeah. you interested again. There's Although by one, that point, you're also you're at that point, you're also you know kind of like eh, it doesn't yeah. matter at this point. If there's only one, if there's only other one other complaint about the film really to me, and that's that there's just, there needs to be there needed to be more Ben Johnson. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. So that that would have been great. Just yeah, see yeah, him and yeah. Eastwood a little bit more together because obviously Ben Johnson. You know, real life cowboy. Um, you know, uh, for everything I've ever read about him, uh, was the best horse rider of all the all the uh, real actors that were in westerns. Um, and uh, not, I didn't agree with his politics, but uh, evidently he was a genuine guy. Yeah. So I know he. Uh, I often I often laugh about the story about him in the Peter Bogdanovich film, right? Or he's uh you know talking about last picture show and how he doesn't want to be in a movie with a bunch of four letter words. <laughs> <laughs> like his, you know, he, he he definitely I did he didn't want to embarrass his mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he ends up winning an Oscar with one of the great speeches of all time in film history. Really, I mean, it, if you go back and watch the last picture show, he does have one of the great speeches. Uh, yeah, I don't have a whole lot more to add. I'll say about the Blu-ray. Uh, there's a couple commentary tracks. I listened to a little bit of one. Uh, really piqued my interest. Can't wait to go back and listen to those. Uh, some of the elements on the transfer, a little grainy, well, maybe a little too grainy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have a problem with film grain. I think it looks great, and I think it should be there, but some of mm-hmm. it's a little strange. Oh, I got one thing. Ben, ben Johnson's resuscitation technique is very weird. I don't think I've ever seen anybody that was trying to bring somebody back from possibly drowning or suffocating by grabbing their belt and picking them up like that. Now, Thinking about it, it makes sense a little bit because that would probably get the stomach going up and down. It would probably get the the diaphragm working. 
the wind moving there. Yeah, but it was very weird. Did you not think it yeah. was weird? Uh, honest to God, it didn't even it didn't even cross my mind. This was the first time I had watched it and thought to myself, "That's weird." I mean, that's the way I was taught to do it. But no, really? you know, you were taught to do I, maybe that? that's maybe that's why maybe that's why it's not weird to me. No, I thought I, I, wasn't thought, thought, that I thought it was yeah. I thought it was pushing on the chest. Maybe you're blowing in the mouth. Yeah, well, yeah. And, you know, Jesus Christ. I mean, I don't know about that move. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know where the hell that came it's from. Like some transcendental uh, be, yoga that, or some shit. <laughs> well, that might be more. That might be a little more like uh, working with um, animals, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, like yeah. Farmhand, kind of cowhand. Yeah. You got you, you haven't got anything good else point. that you can do. You're not going to flip it. You know, you just got to grab it and like kind of shake the the fucker. To yeah, get good point. To, good point. Get jump started, right? Yeah, good. That's point. what I would tend to think on that. Yeah, good point. I didn't even think about that. That would make more sense as. Like I said, he was a you know real life cowboy. Probably worked with mm-hmm. livestock. Maybe he come across a few, you know, foul an- you know foul animals or animals that have fallen foul of the uh, the right path, and maybe he's resuscitated them by picking them up and dropping them. Yeah, yeah. Know. That's the only thing I could think of anyway. Uh, the other thing, uh, one other thing I want to say about the film, <laughs> again, some of the inconsistency of it. Eastwood goes into the pen with a busted eye, but by the time he gets to town, that eye's looking good. Oh yeah, looking real good. And so there, 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 there's some, you know, there's truly some, some B movie western stuff in here, but as a opening to Eastwood's American western career, this is a very solid effort to say the least, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. very good film, except for a a love angle that really isn't needed. All right, let's get MVTs make or breaks. All righty, uh, MVT for me is going to be. I'm going to go with uh, a little bit of a cheat. It's going to be Eastwood and Hingle. Uh I think they both do their thing brilliantly in this thing. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, it's funny because my MVT says Eastwood question mark Hingle question mark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm giving it to both, man. Because every time either one's on screen, it just I love it. Yeah, the best, and when the, they're not, the, I want them. I want them back on. Yeah, the best scenes in the movie are between him and Hingle, right? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely think that. Um, uh, make or break for me. It's going to be the big hanging. Uh, I think it really sums up exactly where the film is going. Uh, it's what it's trying to say uh, and how you know more humanistic it's trying to be uh, with its uh, with its themes. So oh, you're talking about the opening. Or you're talking about the other. The other? <laughs> I'm talking about the multi-person hanging. Oh, like you talking the about six the... guys with the the demon uh, alcohol yeah. speech and the guy with from Little House on the Prairie. Yep. <laughs> I kept thinking, where do I know this guy from? Where do I know this guy from? And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's the Little House on the Prairie guy. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that would be my uh, my make or break. And score for me is uh, 7.25 out of 10. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's really good. I mean, it's got elements of it that could that could be uh, truncated. But uh, overall, uh, you know, damn good. Always weird to see LQ Jones and... Of course, LQ Jones and Ben Johnson would go on to do uh, Wild Bunch shortly yes. after this, right? Yep. But it's always weird to see LQ Jones without a mustache. Yes, it is. It's just it's, that's unnatural. It is. It's as unnatural as Burt Reynolds without one. It's it's like what, yeah, what, what is right? going on? What is going on right now? The, the world is upside down. <laughs> what is the name of that? Oh, there he is, James MacArthur. That's his name. <laughs> that actor. And my computer is running slow as dog fuck. If that's a word. That is slow. That is slow. One thing I know I, about it's dog no, fuck. Well, I, you know, actually, I'll take it back. Dog fucks are usually pretty quick. Yeah, that's it. What and done. It's a three pump chump. Yeah, it's it's really it's all about the foreplay, and the next thing you know, it's over. 
well. <laughs> and there's not a lot of foreplay for the females. So like, nah, you know, no, no, no. <laughs> that is exactly what they refer to when they're saying slap yeah. and tickle. Yeah, a strange, a strange walk, and next thing you know, an entry, and then it's like, oh, Jesus. Oh, my. Actually, he wasn't on Little House of Prey. We're dumbasses. This is his Which show. Which one? James MacArthur, man. Hawaii Five O. He was Dano. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What is wrong with us? We suck. We really got to turn I, in our... That's it. I quit. <laughs> we really got to turn in our... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> that's right. That's bad. We're sitting there calling a little house on the prairie, and I'm like, where do I know him from? <laughs> My grandmother loved Hawaii Five-0, man. God. Really? She did. Oh, yeah. She thought Jack Lord was like the sexiest man alive for years. <laughs> even I was young. Even at that age, I was like, his hair is terrible. <laughs> uh, now I'm envious. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Actually, I would be too. That is a massive. That is a major, major comb, comb job. Yeah, right. Yeah. Anyway, Ed Bigley. By the way, Ed Bigley, senior man. Talk about a guy that aged terribly. <laughs> and he he was only sixty nine when he died. He looked sixty nine in this movie. <laughs> he, yeah, and I think he was like what twenty three. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> yeah. I don't know how old he was uh, at this point, but yeah. You know, what was the score you gave it again? Seven point two five. Oh, nice, nice. Okay, yeah. So look, you look here. He's sixty nine. He died. Well, he just died a couple years later. So I guess he was sixty nine in this movie. <laughs> oh, we're, we're that's uh, that's embarrassing. We're we're an embarrassment of riches. We just we we keep coming up with stuff. Yeah, he died two years after this movie came out. So yeah, he did look bad. There's a reason. There's a reason why he looked pretty rough. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, podcasting at work, guys. Don't come to here. Don't come to here for the film chat so much as the film education. <laughs> as we'll give you the education. All right. Anyway, uh, my MVT. I'm gonna go with uh, Hingle alone. And I'll okay. tell you. I'll tell you what my logic is. My logic is chances are I'll never give it to Hingle again. Uh, I probably won't give it to Post. Uh, maybe. And I know I'm going to give it to Eastwood again. I've probably already given it to him and something. So as much as I like Eastwood in this film, he's very good. He uh, lights up a cigarillo as well as anybody in cinema history. Mm-hmm. Um, Hingle really is the standout to me in this movie because he's really the character with the most arc and the most heft. And he really kind of goes through the most. And he really carries it, man. He does a really good job. Um I read some trivia about Hingle or something that the reason why he always kind of walked the way he did, I always thought he kind of walked the way he did because he's kind of a heavy guy, right? Yeah. Kind of a portly man. And uh, I always thought he kind of walked with a hitch maybe because he was just kind of portly most of his life. But come to find out, like he he had like a, like a major fall when he was younger or something, fucked his leg all up. So he always had this fucked up leg. Huh. But he's a, you know, he also, you know, he should be in the, in the, in the mustache hall of fame. He, he grows a good mustache. Yes, Hingle. he does. But great character actor, man. So he he definitely deserves some credit. My make or break is also hanging, but it's the opening. Uh, okay. I like the way it's shot. I like the way it kicks off the movie. Uh, I like all the actors. I like all the little moments they give the actors in the beginning, including the mm-hmm. world's most interesting man. Uh, I like that the the one older actor, or I think at least two of them, I think maybe are kind of questioning if they should be doing this. Uh, yes. And, uh, well, it's at least two, I know. Yeah, and I like that element. Um. I like all that. I, I like the the way the uh, the cavalry rides in too. Like Eastwood sees him off in the distance, and he could ride away, but he's curious, you know, because he hasn't done anything wrong in his eyes. Yep. Um. So he wants to see what these guys are up to, and he doesn't expect what happens. And it's that lynching and that mob mentality, which is to me still the scariest of all human traits. Uh, that we can all get behind one thing and do some serious damage is still 
to me, still the scariest thing about humanity in general. You don't really see uh, bears sitting around doing that, you know? Like, hey, hey, uh, hey Yogi, you know, uh, I'm thinking we get the guys together, we go out and lynch somebody. <laughs> For some strange reason, my bears are from New Jersey. That's true. Um, eh, you know, pine barrens and whatnot. <laughs> My score for the film a little bit higher than yours, seven point five. But we're right in the same ballpark on this one. This is a uh, a great western of the late sixties, and uh, um, not a masterpiece because I, I think we both agree that there's an element that doesn't need to be here. But you take that element out, and I think you honestly you got one of the best westerns of the sixties, no doubt. Uh, uh, it's up there, yeah. But it's it's really solid. So that's our thoughts on Hang 'em High. We're going to take a short break and come back and discuss Kingdom of the Spiders with one William Shatner. We'll be back right after this. As we see the sun this morning Shining through the early spring Down in peaceful birdie valley Who knows what tomorrow may bring To last forever more Or could it bring the unknown That we've never seen before Oh, let the sky be blue tomorrow Just like it is today all right, we are back. So you guys wouldn't know the nightmare of trying to find Peaceful Verde Valley online that we just went through. So there you go. There's the song there. It's a good, it's a good song, yeah? I like it. I like so, it a lot. Yeah, it speaks to an era, right? Indeed. All right. Reminds me of men with hairspray and shiny jackets. Yeah, exactly. Hee-haw. <laughs> yeah. yeah, hee-haw might be the best way to put it. All right, so... We are back, and our next film is uh, Kingdom of the Spiders uh, from 1977. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one, I think a lot of us have probably seen it a few times. I know first time I saw this was actually on cable television. Uh, it would have been on uh, network television for me, $16 yeah. million dollar movie, many, yeah. many, many, many times. Yeah, I think I saw this on like TNT. Oh really? So I kind of came this. I came to this kind of late. Okay. Um, um, but I remember, uh, you know, Shatner and everything, and and uh, you know, I, I had to watch it right because it was Shatner, man. You know, I'm, I'm like I said, you know, everybody knows I'm a bit of a Trekkie. I'm not a hardcore Trekkie, but I'm a bit of a Trekkie and stuff. And I love the original Star Trek, and and I have a soft spot for William Shatner and his acting style, and uh, even when it's over performing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which he does a little bit in here, but he's actually, I think, really good in this film. So, um, he's I mean, he's very Shatnerian. He's sufficiently Shatner Shatnerian. Yeah, yeah he's just, but he's not over Shatnerian. He doesn't. I don't think. Yeah, I think that even John yes. Bud Cardos uh, <laughs> reined him in a bit. Yeah, so I don't think he had gone full tilt yet. Yeah. So one of the interesting things yeah, yeah. about this movie, this movie was a massive hit. You see right here on uh, I know you got I got, I'm sharing my screen with Todd but uh, five hundred thousand dollar budget made seventeen million dollars. Hey, fungal! What? 
So, That's impressive. Yeah, it's, it's a big movie. It was a big movie. And uh, both of our movies, actually, this uh, week were both big box office hits. So it's very interesting to me. Um, film stars William Shatner, Tiffany Bowling, Woody Strode, yep. uh, Louise, uh, Louis Dressler, uh, Dave McLean. Uh, Al, Al Tarvis. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, quite a few character actors in here. Yeah, I mean, it's got everybody but Dub Taylor, basically. I think Whitey Hughes, the guy that plays the Baron, I believe he was... I believe so. I believe he worked with... Uh, I believe he worked with Peckinpah. But I could be wrong about that. I'm getting ready to look now. Did a lot of stunt work. I know that, as you can see when you're looking at my screen right now, Totter. Yep. A ton of stunt work. He's on the fall guy. Yeah, well, no, he did. I, I know him as a stuntman. That's what I know him as. But he had a kind of a unique face, and he has these great teeth. Oh, yeah. yeah, a, lot, yeah. a lot of people would use him in movies. Yeah, he was in Convoy. There he is. White Rat. Oh, he was in Demonoid. How about that? Yeah. He's in a lot of, he's a lot of shit, man. He was in... I mean, you, 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 growing up, I seen him in just about everything. Bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. <laughs> yeah, he, he worked with... Uh, like I said, Black he Samson? With, he was a friend of Peck and Balls. He had gotten kind of blacklisted, if I remember, in Hollywood for something. Maybe, maybe it wasn't... Uh, uh, it might have been communism, but so mm-hmm. anyway, he ended up making friends with a rebel like Sam, and that kind of helped his career. But he ended up working in stunts more than acting. So anyway, uh, let's get into it here a little bit. I guess I'll lead on this one. Uh, I've seen this film, like I said, more than a few times over the years. So this was a, a good opportunity to get a Blu-ray version of it because I think the film. I like the look of the movie. I always have. I like the kind of small town uh, Southwest kind of vibe. Uh, we, we talked about that with gargoyles. We talked about that with, uh, wasn't there something else we watched recently that we talked about that reminded me of gargoyles, the hitcher a little bit, uh, the hitcher. Yes. Yes. So we've, we've, we, we, me and Todd seem to be the Southwestern film connection here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> very weird about that, but, um, these films, these small towns in the Southwest, we seem to be fascinated with somehow <laughs> it was by accident, obviously, but it's funny to me. Uh, Shatner, I, again, I, so there, I always almost say this about Shatner. There's there's this weird mix to me of Shatner, and it's 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 kind of I, I say this as both a compliment and almost an insult. He he's like a cross between Burt Reynolds and Elvis Presley to me. Okay. And that there's moments when I think he's genuinely cool and a matinee idol, a good looking guy, and then there's moments where I think he's a total cheeseball <laughs> who can't keep his gut in his pants. Well, yeah, I mean, I, he really, he he really plays this one uh, for all intents and purposes. He plays it like Shatner, uh, but that is, you know, like a jerk. Uh, yeah, um, well, yeah, I mean, because I mean, listen, the, 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 the very the very first scene uh, we see him in, you know, he's roping and riding, right? Yeah, uh, and then he gets he he kind of like has this little moment with this chick who at first you think is just kind of like his squeeze or whatever, but then, you know, you find out it's his brother's widow or, and you know, he gets like really, really bitter, really, really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, you know, I say that he's a jerk, but you know, at the same time, I think that he's a, he's a fascinating and sometimes charming jerk. Yeah. Got a great, um, he's got a great character name, right though. You know, rack, rack Hansen is rack. A great, that's a great name. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's a good name. I mean, you know, you can't ask for much more than that in a movie like this, get a character. No. Name. Like Rack Hansen. That yeah, that's a that's a uh, a name worthy of uh, Doug McClure. So I think to myself when I watch this, you know, I go back and think of Shatner's career. So this is obviously after Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't think of him as box office man. He's got a lot of credits. 
I wouldn't think of him as a guarantee for box office, right? But uh, well, this would have been was any, after was the series had been re- put into syndication, right? Yeah. After after they brought it back for the third season, and then it went into syndication. So he was getting more and more. Uh, I mean, the biggest movie, more and more cachet from that, and you know him, you know guys like him and, and Nimoy and that were, were showing up on shows like Columbo and that. So I mean, yeah. they certainly had enough of. Uh, well, because when when, when when was the first Star Trek motion picture? Uh, was that seventy nine? Um, we're getting ready to find out right here. Star Trek: The Motion Picture, seventy nine. Yes. So it would have been two years after this. Yeah. So he had made TV movies and stuff, and I mean, he he was obviously he. Well, existed, yeah, and okay. stuff. But cinematic films, I'm looking here. I mean, the biggest film he had done is right here, The Devil's Reign. Yeah, which is <laughs> notorious now. Well, he did Big Bad Mama, I guess, in '74. But I mean, if you look through his film history, I mean, it's it's mostly television movies. And obviously, yeah. he had he had he had some. A few, uh, he's got Norman uh, got that uh, one Roger Corman film, The Intruder. I think. It's uh called. yeah yeah. And he did some stuff back in the day that was pretty good. There it is, the Intruder, and uh, he did some stuff. But I mean, for this to be a box office hit in '77, obviously this is riding the coattails of nature run amok films. Yeah, yeah, so it's the, very much you know you you watch this movie and you instantly think it's a William Girdler movie, but it isn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally feels like a William Girdler movie, yep. and it totally feels like William Girdler through the islands of you know through through Jaws, which is what Girdler made a career out of, a grizzly, yep, and yep, things like that. So. It definitely is in that genre. Uh, it's very tough to make tarantulas scary. I think I think that you have to be scared of spiders in general. Well, uh, yeah, that's kind of the thing, though. Uh, that's what it does, you know. It's because it, it starts off small. Well, it does, uh, it does, you know, it does it, a good it, job it, of you know, reaching it, into it does, dark spaces, right? Well, yeah, and it, it does really rely on you know people's basic fear of spider, and then it plays it up because you know if one speeder if speeder if one spider freaks you out, then ten thousand will you know give you fucking fits. Oh, right? nightmares! Yeah, they give you nightmares, right? I mean, and plus, and plus, one of the smart things that I think they did, uh, which actually you know works for the most part, is the spider cam that they use. Mm, yeah, when they yeah. use those like POV shots coming at you, but from like different angles. Yeah, uh, and they they edit it together, you know, pretty nicely. It's actually pretty effective. Yeah. Yeah, see the um the they open the film opens basically with a a spider cam type moment, right? Almost very similar to Jaws. Mm-hmm. Uh it, it sets up its story. Uh Woody Strode's prize cav gets uh attacked by spiders. We don't actually see the attack. We kind of see the 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 point of view and we know there is an attack. I think there's some sound effects and stuff, but I I you know, next thing we do, we see the cow and I don't know how they got that cow. I don't know if they had that cow. That looked like a real cow that was either one extremely drugged <laughs> yeah yeah my or guess would be they probably too extremely close to dead um but that cow's looking rough uh shatner's handling and stuff and like that and i felt pretty bad for the cow i mean i felt like at that point you probably could have used a prosthetic and it didn't look like a prosthetic cow that looked like a real cow <laughs> uh I, yeah i don't know that they could have afforded a yeah a prosthetic cow yeah um i don't know if anybody's ever been more macho though given a steer a shot you know given a shot of uh, medicine <laughs> Than Shatner, I mean he, the way he does it and everything. I mean he's just you know he just oozes machismo when he changes. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's something about the guy. I mean you know I don't I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the Kirk character or if it's just Shatner. He's, he is the classic swinging dick. Yeah, I mean he is a, a macho guy. Uh, yeah, I mean I've, that's yeah. I've ran into him. so he comes to Kentucky quite a bit. Uh, he's big into horses. 
Yeah. So I've ran across him a couple times. He's very pompous and he's not, uh, <laughs> he's not incredibly nice. Uh, I will say I've not had any direct interaction with him, but I've seen him not be very nice to people. Uh, he, you know, there's a lot of horror stories out there of his interactions with fans over the years. Um, so he's just, he's, 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 he can be a jerk, but I'm not going to say, you know, too many bad things about him because I don't, you know, I don't know what his experiences have been like with fans. Maybe they've all been bad. So maybe there's a reason why he's a jerk, but whatever. I mean, he, people love him. I can tell you that. doesn't matter how, what he acts like and what he does. People love him mm-hmm. here uh, as much as anywhere. Um, the Blu-ray looks really nice. Uh, I will say that. It's a high definition. This is the best I've ever seen this film look. Uh, it's probably the best you ever will. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it'll ever, yeah, I don't know if it'll ever look better than this. Um, but sticking your hands into unseen places, again, that's a staple. I remember thinking Del Toro did a really good job of that on Mimic, which I know we talked about last time we did record it because we talked about Dragon Slayer and that Matthew yes. Robbins was a writer on Mimic. But I remember thinking Mimic because I have a bigger aversion towards small bugs that are fast. Okay. I don't like well, fast. Well, some spiders are pretty fucking fast, man. Yeah, I mean, tarantulas so, so, aren't, but. So there you go. There, therein lies the issue. I am not a scared of insect type person. But you give me a fast-moving, darty insect. Uh, now you're, you know, I'm scratching that. Yeah, I'm getting into some issues at that point. Mm. Something that I can't catch and gets away. Now, now, I'm, now it's eating me alive. Where is this animal? <laughs> Where is this creature? It's in my house. Now, when I go to sleep, it's going to be in my mouth. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna be in my butthole. It's gonna be in all these spots, right? Yeah, right. Everywhere you don't <laughs> want to have to pull it from. Well, that depends on your depends on the time of the week. Um, True, and how True. many beers I've had. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Again, the, uh, down in peaceful Verde Valley. <laughs> my my Verde Valley is not so peaceful. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it gets into a lot of those uh, the kind of tropes, and it does it does mimic almost all nature run amok films. Yeah, um, it's got some nice moments though. I like the spider mound. Uh, I like that scene. Yeah. Uh, well, how about, you know, I love that, that Strode just keeps that giant spider hill to himself, yeah. like well past when he probably should have. Yeah. That's one of those things where you're like, like oh, maybe should have yeah. brought that up. By the way, I think I'm going to go out there and burn natural out in the back, <laughs> in the fucking back. Yeah. Like a ton of spiders. I don't know why my cow's sick. Yeah. Now we should say that I don't think you can die from a tarantula bite. I think I am almost a hundred percent sure that you cannot. They're not um, poisonous, but I think they would be a painful bite because they have pretty yeah, good-sized fangs. Yeah, I'm sure it would be irritating. Yeah, and they they are kind of like the freakish thing. Like you know, most of the close-ups you see of spiders on the internet and stuff usually come from a tarantula face. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they got they got a couple things going for them. One, the wolf spiders are pretty freaky. Like, yeah, the one ugh. one the thing about the the uh, the tarantula is first of all it's a, it's a coarse hairy spider. Yeah. Which I think freaks. Well, it looks great on film. Yeah, I think it freaks people out. It's a hefty yeah. spider. I've handled a tarantula in my lifetime. They are a hefty kind of fat spider. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some heft to them. Um, and that is a bit disturbing, especially because they have <laughs> they have such a soft touch. That's the most disturbing oh, part. Oh, stop. I'm, I'm fucking... Yeah, I know. So that's that's the most disturbing part is you're carrying this, you know, so a buddy of mine, the same buddy, actually, the same guy that uh, lived next door to me, he had a pet tarantula. Mm-hmm. And you know, I would hold this thing occasionally because I thought I had to be cool and hold the spider. Now, I, I, I need everybody to understand. Unlike the chimp shaking uh, scenario, <laughs> this, this is not a scenario I wanted to be in because I didn't really want to hold the spider. But you know, you got you got to man up. You know, you got to you're around a bunch of guys. You know, you're growing up. You're a teenager. You gotta 
you gotta be you don't want to show you don't want to show you're a puss you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you end up holding this animal that you don't want to hold and all i can really remember about it is like i said it was hefty much heavier than i thought it would be and two that it has this very interesting way of touching and feeling <laughs> and 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 where you know you tarantulas are very lively with their legs they're not they're not fast but they're, they're if you ever watch are you okay over there I'm, I'm, if you ever watch them though their front their front legs and stuff are always kind of moving a little bit because they're kind of feeling around right <laughs> and so they'll do that on your hands and on your arm and on your shoulder and stuff they'll feel around and they'll get up on your hair and they'll feel your hair and shit it's very bizarre but i can see why they're being a pet because they, they they can be a pet because they're kind of personable in that they become almost affectionate they'll get to a point to where they become comfortable with their owner and they'll sleep on your shoulder or they'll nest up under your neck or something like that. And all that stuff I know is giving you the heebie-jeebies, but... I'm getting the fucking chills like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> Got that chicken skin going there, bae. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Got that Tyson chicken there, bae. Uh, <laughs> now, the, uh, you know, but, but I can see where, you know, people would get this natural affection for them. You know, yeah, some people like snakes, some people like spiders. Hey, go nuts! Yeah, you know whatever you whatever you're into. You know, I'm I'm more of a dog guy. You know, but hey, yeah. teach their own. You know, I, I lay down with my dogs and kiss them all over the face, and people think that's disgusting because they they stink and and they lick my face and their breath is terrible and all that stuff. But you know, to me, that's that's dogs. You know, I mean, I'm used to it, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like my bulldog, he shakes his head and spit gets all over my shirt. And I was eating a piece of pizza the other day. It was just two <laughs> days ago. I've eaten a piece of pizza. My bulldog Bronson, he walks up and he. Shakes his face, and he's a bulldog. He's an English bulldog, and slobber goes everywhere. Probably lands on my pizza. I just kept eating. You know, it's just you know I, that's that's the world I live in. Now I probably should have checked the pizza, but I didn't think about it at the time. You know, but I did notice when I looked down at my shirt, I had some huge slobber boogers on the shirt. Uh. <laughs> now you, you're more you're more of the shepherd. You're you're in the German world, so there's not as much. Uh, no, anymore. I like dogs. I actually I like uh, English bulldogs quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, you know, there's the slobbery dogs, and then there's the non-slobbery. All dogs are slobbery to a degree. Sure. But certainly the bulldogs, the mastiffs, uh, anything with a low-hanging jaw. Very, yeah, anything jowly. Yeah, is very yeah. slobbery. Yeah. And uh, one of the great things about bulldogs, though, is when they're excited. <laughs> I, I ought to shoot a video of this sometimes when my, my bulldog, my male bulldog, gets frisky. He has this look on his face like he's going to get in trouble. <laughs> his ears go back his jaw kind of draws back a little bit and he's kind of looking around fast like darting around and i'm yeah. like oh man he's feeling frisky he's feeling frisky and of course i got a female bulldog as well and she's going to be the victim of this friskiness <laughs> because now he's feeling it he's feeling he's feeling a little frisky and of course he he goes up and starts sniffing or starts getting close to her and he'll do that things dogs do when they're close to each other and they want to play where they kind of raise their face up they're like come on come on you want to, you want to do something you know you do my female's not having it. My female's territorial, so she'll just eat him alive and beat the shit out of him. And, and he, he's got forty five pounds on her, but she just kicks his ass every time. He just he he's a big puss. He he can't handle it. So anyway, that's a side note. Just to let you know that's Sammy's life outside of here. Um so Woody is in the movie quite a bit more than I thought he was. Woody Strode. Yeah, I don't he's, remember. He's almost been, the first third. Yeah, yeah. I, I I forgotten that he was in the film as much as he is. Mm-hmm. And he's really good. I, I you know I, Strode has always had a great look, right? I mean, he looks amazing. Um, he's arguably the best walker in uh, Once Upon a Time in the West when he walks across that thing underneath that uh, water tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
across the platform. Yeah, he's got this kind of bow-legged walk, this kind of athletic walk, and mm-hmm. it's it's one of the great moments in cinema to me when he looks and decides to walk off. And uh, I always associate him with sound and things because his scene in Once Upon a Time in the West really is, to me, like those opening 10 or 15 minutes of Once Upon a Time really are the, the epitome of cinema uh, to me. Um, the sound of the wheel, the rusty wheel of the, the, the windmill type thing, the sound of the water drop on the hat, yep, um, the walk across the thing, everything in Once Upon a Time in the West is a true master class in cinematic filmmaking. Um, but I associate him with that. So when he talks a lot, it's always a bit bizarre. But also, he really is not that bad an actor. Like, he no, carries himself pretty well, and... He probably, even though he did quite a bit, he probably could have had more of a career than he did. Uh, I know we've talked about him a few times on the show and stuff, usually just playing a heavy, uh, working with Silva and whatnot. But I think that, you know, he could have been the, he could have been James Brown. I'm James Brown. He could have been uh, Jim Brown. He could have been, he could have been any of these guys, but I don't know. I don't know. He was a little more, you see, the thing about Strode is that Strode is very, very, very stoic. Yes. Uh, so I don't know that he could have been a Jim Brown because you know, like a Jim Brown or a Fred Williams, he needs to be really kind of you know, high, high energy, yeah, really putting it out there. Maybe I mean, he could have been more like he could have been more like a like a he could have been like a Black Charles Bronson. Sure, sure, maybe that, uh, in that in that vein, and maybe you know, somebody who's who's not really who's not really giving you much of anything, yeah, and maybe, you're just going along with it because the, you're behind him. Yeah, maybe that's the route I would have taken with him. Maybe I that's what I would have done. Yeah, yeah I would have you know, wouldn't have been great to have him and Bronson. You know, do a buddy cop movie. Oh God, yeah, <laughs> that would have been insane. That would have been cool. Uh, but you know, but he's really good in this movie, and I'm sure we'll talk about him again because Woody's got a long career in movies, yep. and yep, yep. Uh, mostly westerns. And as you guys know, I tend to pick westerns quite a bit. And as you can see, he's in that as well. So work with John Ford quite a bit, but he's in my favorite John Ford. And so there you go. Um, let's see. I don't really have a whole lot to add about this movie. It's it, this is okay. a weird movie to me. So, the the direction is fine, the acting is fine, but it's really just a nature run run amok film. There's some good scenes, but there's also a lot of filler in the movie. Yep. Um, the location really to me is the star of the movie uh, because I think they do a really good job of shooting all the locations. I do like Shatner's character uh, as much as uh, he's kind of a prick in some ways, but I do like his character. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, he's he's got like I said, he's got a, a certain charm to him. Yeah, there's a there's a even cow- when he's being a jerk. Yeah, there's sure. kind of a cowboy roguishness about him. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he's you know he's out of time, right? He's 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 an old old school guy and a yeah. Well, of, that's why he gets along so well with the uh, the the female scientist, one yeah. of them girl scientists. Yeah, newfangled. Yeah, I mean this isn't politi- <laughs> politically. Newfangled. Yeah, yeah. This is, he's yeah, he gets kind of taught up in all this newfangled. And technology. holy fuck, is he aggressive with her? He like really, really aggressive with her. He really is, and that's that's where that kind of that's where I get that Burt Reynolds thing from. So Burt Burt was a little bit more charming, no doubt, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he could kill you with the smile. But there was also, if you go back and look at Burt's film with a predator sensibility, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of predator in Burt. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And and a lot of these films we grew up on, right? There's a lot of misogynistic behavior. Sure. Um, and and obviously, you know, we're not championing that behavior. That's just the era the films were made in. But this is definitely part of that world. There's no doubt about that. And 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 I could see 
even though he wouldn't have made this film because he was the biggest star in the world at the time, Burt Reynolds, but you could see where this is kind of the genre. They're kind of putting, trying to put this roguish, handsome devil type of character in it. And uh, the best they could come up with was Shatner. And again, I think Shatner is a handsome guy. I thought he was, uh, you know, he did a really good job of playing Kirk. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, he was a sex symbol of the time. I'm a, again, I was a little surprised when I did the research on the film, finding out this was such a big hit because I thought already at this point he had became a bit of a joke of himself. But I guess he really didn't become the Shatner we know as the kind of joke of himself until after the Star Trek film started to hit. Uh, yeah. I yeah, I would say because after after the after the uh, after the series came back for its third season and got you know that little writing campaign that they started that got it back for the third season so they could put it in the syndication, um, I think that he just kind of like wanted the hell away from it so that's why he just kind of wanted to you know it wasn't until they said oh well we'll offer you a ton of money to be in this movie yeah 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 and then he made a career out of it right I mean he- yeah and even then even when he was making the the Star Trek movies. Uh, he was still kind of like, you know, wanting nothing to do with it. Yeah, he was still kind of shitty about it. And, yeah, yeah. And uh, which I find very interesting. And then, of course, you know, he he always, I guess the thing I've always gotten from him is he's a bit of a brat. Yeah, yeah. That's he, He's a he's a petulant child in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. He both knows that Star Trek is his bread and butter, and he loathes it. Yep. But. And and he and for many years he never really respected what he had created there or what that had done for him, and then like he would throw fits. Like so, he wanted to make movies, so they give him a directing gig with Star Trek Five, and and you know he throws a fit about this, and then he doesn't want to do a scene with Picard, and then they give him a bunch of money, and he decides he's going to go ahead and do it. And it's just you know there's just this that's the thing I think people remember about him the most. There's this series of petulant temper tantrums that he threw over the years, and unfortunately it tarnished his reputation but from what i understand like i said from what brief interactions i've had with him from a distance he seems to be that person all the time (laughs) yeah 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 like with everybody even talking about horses which he loves horses but even talking about horses he's petulant so i just think he's i think he's arrogant and uh maybe he has every right to be uh but he's certainly not the movie star that he thinks he is but he's definitely the shatner that he thinks he is it's a great last name too Shatner. I just took, just took a Shatner. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I can really talk about with this movie. It's really difficult for me to, to have a... Uh, I mean, because it's, it, it's so simple. It's just nature Nature runs amok. I mean, they just they figure out the spiders. Well, yeah. And they just figure out... So there's a bit of post-apocalyptic taste. There's a tinge. There is. There is. Well, I mean... This, I kind of like. I think what this, this movie does... Well, okay, so all right. I'm gonna pass it over to you. Just go ahead. Go ahead. You sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. 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 I'm, I'm, uh, I sound like those bears in the New Jersey woods again. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it it what it does is it brings up some interesting things to keep a bit of mystery going, right? You got the giant spider hill. You got spiders that are way out of their native territory. You got, you know, there's some there's some ecological fluff that's thrown out about the overuse of uh, insecticides and shit, but it's not really explored, ah, yes, right? Yes. DDT is brought up. Exactly. So, I mean, it gives you it gives you the ecological portion of it just to be kind of like, you know, 
have that sort of mindset for the people who need some kind of a rational explanation for this thing. And this is when we would have found out, right? We would have found out around this time period, roughly, that DDT was... Not good for you. Not good for you, yes. Right, yeah. And if, if for those of you who don't know, you should definitely go out and Google some old-school DDT spraying videos. Yeah, you don't want to... You, uh, it's pretty yeah. insane the way we used to do that. Uh-huh. Uh, absolutely. It's crazy. Um, it's crazy to go back and look at those old videos. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's like it's like you were saying. It's it's you know, it follows along with the the standard uh, sort of uh, monster movie, nature run amok, Jaws kind of film. You know, the uh, the, the local fair is a couple of days away. The mayor doesn't want to hear nothing about no quarantines and shit like that. Oh god, that 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 stuff right there is the most rip off of rip off stuff. That stuff drives. If there's anything that drives me crazy about the genre. It's the 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 town fair thing. It, that that yeah, always drives yeah, me yeah. crazy. There's always that. Well, it's, it's almost that it's to almost to the it's almost to the point where it's you know it's just kind of like now it kind of feels like you have to do it. Yeah, <laughs> you, well, you like do if it. you don't do it, then you're not doing it right. Yeah, yeah, you're not doing it right. You got to mess up the county fair. The mayor's even yeah. got a bad jacket, like he does in Jaws. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> He's shopping at Larry Vaughn's. Uh... <laughs> they are drinking some Miller High Life though. While on they break. are again that that's the good old days where you could drink beer at lunch <laughs> yeah right <laughs> uh and they were to, they were to pull off tabs too yes that's um, right. <laughs> so the score to this thing outside of the peaceful verde valley song uh sometimes feels like really inappropriate <laughs> library music from like a 70s industrial film yes from a ddt uh, film like, probably <laughs> yeah it probably was taken from a ddt film yeah ddt <laughs> yes your future keeping a neighborhood safe now <laughs> Don't pay attention to the tumor. <laughs> Whoops. Don't inspect that. Hey, kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, know, uh, you live and you learn. Yeah. People, yeah, yeah. Yeah. People are learning uh, about Roundup nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's kind of like a exploitation horror film, right? Uh, you got that one scene where the guy pulls up to the gas station. Uh, he's got a cow in the back of his car oh, yeah. and a chicken coop in the yes, trunk. Yes, that, there was a cow in the back seat of the car. Yeah. I don't know how the fuck he got it in there, man. <laughs> yes, that's almost as good as the baby deer in the car with uh, Michael Sofkeech and uh, Blast <laughs> in uh, Blast Fighter. Yes, Blast Fighter. That's right. <laughs> it's always weird. It is. I agree with you, though. It is always strange when you see something like a sheep or a deer or a cow in a car. Yeah, right. There's something so unnatural about that. <laughs> yeah. And yet we accept without fail dogs and cats and cars. We accept that without even questioning it. It's amazing. That's because most people don't have cows that actually live in their homes. Like in their homes. Well, you know, I've been around enough cows in my lifetime to know the the bowel movements are tricky. <laughs> well in other words, well, what I mean is unpredictable. You don't know when a cow's gotta go. Oh, 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 oh. You know, okay. A dog right. or a cat kind of give you an idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. A cow just kind of, you know, it just happens. Oh. You could be walking along and, yeah, he's taking a dump. Kind of like a horse. <laughs> kinda, there's a reason why you don't keep horses in the house. Yeah, you know, yeah. Horses yeah or just, ducks. They just go whenever they want to go. Yep. That stuff just comes right on out. Yeah. Uh, Pours so, out of there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing is that the characters, you know, they kind of have like little squabbles with each other. But they're all pretty like amiable. So, uh, so I think they're by and large. Yeah. So I think of my favorite thing about the movie. Now thinking about it in, in a little bit more in, in terms of a film, the scenes with the characters are probably the best. 
the scenes were uh, and I and well, because they're all kind of colorful. Yeah, they're they're all kind of good. They're all kind of colorful, and and so it's it's a weird movie because there's very little spiders in the movie, really. Yeah, it's, yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. I do like that it, one scene where she gets out of the shower, and she finds that spider, and she just and it's it, it's it's a nice touch on the genre that she just starts talking to it. Yeah, it's a nice little like, little twist because you know we're scared. Well, but she's and, one of them newfangled lady scientists. Yeah, don't forget with the new technologies and whatnot. <laughs> we sound like old men again where's, where's my cowboy hat and my miller highlight make, make this thing work yeah give me a beer uh, <laughs> the movie yeah but it's just kind of like it just kind of floats along right it doesn't really it just has like a few like individual but, attack scenes here and there and they're effective but it's strange because even though there's no real style to the movie i've always found this movie incredibly entertaining to watch and I don't. Uh, even, yeah, I don't understand that because there's nothing. When I think about this movie, there's nothing that really, except for the final shot of the movie, there's nothing super memorable no. about the movie. Well, to me, uh, that, well, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe no. there's one scene where they're no, no, there's not. There's not a moment. <laughs> there's not. It's, so Grizzly's got some moments. Well, yeah, that yeah, I'll yeah. that I'll never forget. They're burned in right. my brain. Jaws obviously has many moments that are etched in my memory. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of a lot of the nature run amok films have a lot of moments. Even uh, Shockma has moments where you know. So so like so like the scene with the Baron. You didn't think that was memorable? It was very memorable. Yes. Now that I think about it, yes, it is. <laughs> it is. Or the but, scene with the uh, with the, Alto Vise. Well, the scene, the scene with the guy getting the tire. Yeah, very, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's very memorable. Yes. Yeah. So maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe there is, but I mean John Bud, John Bud Cardos was a workman director, right? Well, yeah, he was unremarkable but solid. Yes, I mean, so I mean, I think if anything, our directors this week are workman directors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would agree with that. They're not, you know, they're not Sergio Leone. They're not uh, these guys we've talked about today. They're not Kubrick. Obviously. Yeah, but, yeah, but they get the job done. Um. So, I mean, yeah, the whole thing is just kind of building up to this big chaotic finale. Uh, and I, I think that that's a blast. Um, so the movie goes <sighs> – see, and I don't know how much of this delay at the foot of, of Shatner. It goes from fairly subtle uh, to ridiculously overblown, like the entire length of the movie and you know, multiple times in the same scene. Um, and I, I think that that might kind of be where the appeal comes from because you're yeah. kind of like – you're kind of like – going along with it and it's kind of like a traditional sort of you know horror beast kind of movie and then you know and then it just gets into this the wild histrionics of uh, of all these weird kind of quirky characters like those two people uh that wind up at the lodge um with their uh, with their camper uh that they're just kind of like they're not quite right really right. they seem a little bit uh, left to center or right to center or just off center let's call it mm-hmm. um and I think that that's kind of where where it comes from, you know. Aside from being just that really, you know, creepy sort of thing that it, you know that 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 preying on people's fear of uh, of bugs and spiders in general, um, it does have some. I think some there's some, the corpse effect in this effects in this. I think are pretty nasty and effective, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's something that's always stood out for me, like especially once you get into the uh, the siege of the fair. Um, and you see all the, you know, just the people laying there covered in, uh, in webs and spiders and shit. Um, so the thing about this is that, okay, two things. Number one, 
and I got to say this, uh, and I, this is probably me being a bit more of a jerk than I'd like to be, but uh, Rack's niece has always irritated me. From the first time I watched this movie up through this time. Oh. She has irritated the living shit out of me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I get it. You got to put the kid in peril in order to get her out of it. But at the same time, she was annoying to me the entire, (laughs) always. Um, Okay. So you get to the the siege portion of the film. Uh, You know, they're they're at the lodge, right? They're they're at the lodge with, you know, people. And here's another interesting thing. They they lock them all up, right, in the the lodge with people who we barely know. These these couple of characters that just kind of appeared – you know, we don't really have any connection to them. I mean, they have no connection to the town. They just come in for the fair or whatever. Right. Um, right. And that was always just just weird to me. It's like cause you, you're not giving us any tension with these people, you know, to, to go through it because you're just you – know, we don't know them. We don't know them. They're not from around here. What the fuck do they care? Um, and I also always found it really kind of weird that there's no real master plan to escape uh, or to drive the spiders back like in a movie like, say, Piranha. Or something along that line, you know, where there's, you know, there that comes down to we have to take this into our own hands. We have to do X, Y, Z. We're going to attempt this by doing this. They don't really do that in here. It's all, it's all survival. Um, and you know, I, I love then that it's not really the the most pleasant of endings, right? Yeah. Um. Well, it's and, a, it's a very pessimistic ending, right? It's, well, it's very pessimistic, but it, it's you know you got to wonder whether it was just that way because that it, you know horror movies were that way a, a lot back then, or whether it was you know just uh, you know whether they they actually wanted it to be that way. Yeah, you never know where your career is going to take you. You see this right here. You no, see what I'm looking that? at here. Uh, hold on one sec. Well, John. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, he's turned into a transportation guy. Get the hell out. <laughs> yeah, he's still working in movies to this day. Uh, but he mostly is a driver. <laughs> huh. He uh, did some driving for Memento. Did uh, yeah, Blue Lagoon: The Awakening, Phantoms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drive. That's 1997, though. That's the other drive movie. When was last credited on that was 2012. Yeah, so he's still around. Good for him. Yeah. Hey, man, stay there. You know, do what you want. Directing movies, and then next thing you know, he's doing the driving. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the film, it, it is fun. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it never really hit me. I've seen this movie numerous times throughout my life. Uh, it never really hit me until this time exactly how dumb and just <laughs> stiltedly overwrought yeah. the film is. Yes, yes. It's definitely that. But it, it, to me, this is almost the definition of a B movie. Oh, is a hundred percent the definition of a B movie. Like this is a drive-in movie. This is this yeah, is yeah, that yeah. movie. This is it. It makes it doesn't make logical sense. It's goofy. It's fun. It's not over yep. the top, but it's just on the borderline where it's actually a good film, uh, a good entertaining film mixed yeah. with that ridiculousness that makes these movies that, you know, they can take these movies to the next level. Terrible. Yeah. 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 Um, I think it, and, it handles that well. And I, I think that a lot of that falls on the Cardos because he made, some pretty good B movies. He he didn't make a lot of a lot of movies, and certainly didn't make a lot of great movies. Um, but I think he understood how to just get the most bang for his buck and make a very simple, straightforward, you know, B movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. That. And for those uh, spider lovers who are listening right now, uh, there is a lot of spider stomping. Yes, there is. Uh, I believe in one of the documentaries on the disc, they claim that no live spiders were 
uh, harmed, but I find that very, 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 very difficult to believe. Well, I don't even know if nowadays you're allowed to do what they did on this film, which was kind of try. You know, I'm tran- pretty sure you can tranquilize the uh, spiders a little bit, or maybe even just put them in cold weather or whatever. Yeah, basically freeze them a little bit, and where they yeah, they're real yeah. dormant, they barely move. I don't even think you're allowed to do that anymore. Uh, which is is fine. I, I'm 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 all for that. We shouldn't. We definitely one of the things. Another the human trait I hate is our dominance. I can't stand when we. I don't watch a lot of dog movies because of all the terrible stories. <laughs> you know, I often think to myself, Jesus Christ, you know, especially the movies we grew up on. Mm-hmm. There's no telling what those dogs went through. Mm-hmm. And honestly, there's no telling how many dogs they went through. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And that that that, that kind of makes my stomach turn a little bit. But yeah, if you're a spider lover, it might not be. Uh, it might bother uh, might you. Might not a be bit. your cuppa. Yeah, it might not be your cuppa. You're right. Yeah. Why does, um, why that's does, all I really have to add to it. Why does John Bud Cardos have this as his profile picture on IMDb? Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, that's nice. Isn't that uh, Al Adamson's wife? Looks like her. Yeah. The hell's her name? Carol something. Don't know. I'm sure he worked with Al Adamson, right? As an actor. Blood and Blood of Dracula's Castle. Satan, like, Satan, Satis. Oh, there you go. That would probably be why. That might be him right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Firewater. <clears throat> well, Satan Status was an Adamson movie, right? Yes, I believe it was a bike movie, right? Yeah, all the incredible two-headed transplanted did stunts. How about that? Did stunts on the Wild Bunch. Huh. Yeah, what's, what is her name? There she is right there, Satan Status. Yep. What is her name? God damn it. Regina Carroll. Regina Carroll. I had half of it, right? There we go. Yep, that's her. She's only 49 when she died. Yikes. Was she really? Yeah. Jeez Louise. Al Addison. Crazy stories there. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, okay, let me get into MVT's Make or Breaks. Uh, this has been a long show. Getting oh, my. Bang for your buck. This is almost three hours at this point. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, we hope you enjoy listening to us talk these soft, velvety tones. And... Uh, Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah. uh, my make or break for this film, or my MVT, I should say, is uh, I'm going to go with Cardos because I think the film is effective. I know it doesn't sound like I liked it that much, but I have repeatedly watched this film and I never fast forward through it. I never yeah, no, rushed it. I always watch the movie and yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, it washes over me like a nice cool breeze. And I enjoy it every time I watch it. I enjoyed it this time. Uh, make or break. Uh, I like the gas station scene. It's it's the right level of crazy, and uh, the right level of horror, mm-hmm. and the right level of uh, Shatner playing a tricky joke on somebody in a Mercedes. Uh huh. He thinks he's real. He thinks he's a real cad. He's a rogue. <laughs> uh, we've used rogue. We've used cad. <laughs> we've we've used newfangled today. <laughs> really showing our comic book uh, vocabulary. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, my score for the film is a seven point two five out of ten. I really do enjoy this man, and I'm glad to have it on Blu-ray because it's a film that you know, like every four or five years or something that I can watch, and I just I enjoy the story. I think it's one of the better nature run amok films. I really do, even though I think it's completely ludicrous. <laughs> Indeed, I mean, um, it's even more ludicrous than Grizzly. Grizzly is ridiculous. I love and, Grizzly. Yeah, Grizzly is ridiculous in so many other ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, budgetary mostly, but 
this is just uh if you think about it if you like you said if you stop and think about it this is just a level of ridiculous it's crazy oh god yes <laughs> so yeah 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 i would i would totally agree with that um so mvt for me i'm gonna give it to the fx and stunt teams which i guess in a certain way also leads back to mr cardos being a stunt guy himself um and i think they really do a great job uh you know with everything that they uh, that they put on screen they really uh they sell it a hundred percent um make or break for me is going to be the finale uh and that matte painting it's very good which is it's one of those things that you know the first few times that I saw the movie, I wasn't a hundred percent sure what I was looking at because obviously the print wasn't the greatest fucking thing in the world. Yeah. Um, but you know, once you finally realize, uh, you know, it's one of those images that you you think about and you're like, "Did I see what I think I saw?" And then yeah. you watch the movie again, and you're like, "Yeah, there it is." And then you see, you think about it again, and you're like, "Did I think what I did I see what I think I saw?" And then it just kind of goes in that cycle. Yeah. But it really is there. One uh, of the so, great things about having the Blu-ray too is now you know I I know I did this anyway. I paused it on the matte painting. Uh-huh. So I could look at it and kind of look at the detail a little bit more. Because yeah, yeah, most, yeah. most of the prints I had seen, too, or TV representations I had seen, it was always a bit murky. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it was. But you can make it out a little bit better now. It's not it's not perfect, but it is it is better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and score for me, I'm a little bit lower than you. I'm a 6.75 out of 10. Uh, for as much as I like That's this fair. thing. That's fair. For as much as I enjoy it, uh, yeah, I really got to keep it a little bit lower uh, on this one because it really just... It is that dumb. So, um, to me, anything above six and a half, six and a half is 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 it's re- pretty good. It's rewatchable. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's something that I'd revisit. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it is. It's it's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun and dumb, right? Yeah, it's it's dumb fun. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There you go. There you go. Uh, fun and dumb, dumb fun, newfangled words. Newfangled female scientist words. We're using these newfangled technologies to record. Dun, 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 dun. Yes. Uh, okay. So that is the big show. There you go. Hope you enjoy the podcast this week because it's a it's a beefy one. It's a doozy. It's hefty like a tarantula. Mm. Speaking of goofy spider movies, the movie itself, Tarantula, that is a goofy spider movie. Yes, it is. Well, you know what's even goofier than that? Giant spider invasion. No, that is super goofy. Oh, my. <laughs> that is a level of goofy. And <laughs> Alan Hale Jr. Yes. There you go. There's always That's everything. Three movies with Alan Hale Jr. Now, everything kind of comes together. You're going through the whole Alan Hale Jr. phase. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to see every Alan Hale Jr. film. <laughs> well, now I am. <laughs> All right. Uh, next week, we actually know what we're going to be covering already, which is a rarity yes. for us. But uh, both Todd and I are subscribers to the uh, Criterion Channel, uh, so I kind of hit him up. So, is there anything on there interesting you'd like to watch? Because I'm, I'm I've used mine a little bit, but not a lot. I watched Stagecoach on there. Um, but not enough. And, you know, like everybody, I want to justify these subscriptions I pay for, mm-hmm. uh, in this era. So we are going to be talking about one that I've been actually been wanting to talk about forever. Cause it's probably my favorite of that genre. And that's war of the gargantuas. Yes. We're going to be talking about that. I think we've joked about that in the past. I'm pretty sure we have. Uh, but that is my, that is my favorite of the, what is that genre called? Kaiju? Uh, well, that's, yeah. Sort of, yeah. That's kind of a kaiju film. Anyway, uh, when I was growing up, that was my favorite. And I haven't seen it in a long time, and I can't wait to revisit it. And then uh, that is on that service, and then we are also going to be talking about Jubal, which uh, I think it's how you say the word. Uh, it's a J-U-B-A-L. It's a Western with uh, Glenn Ford, Ernest Borgnine, Rod Steiger, me and you, mm-hmm. and 
we talking about Rod Steiger again. Hitting up Steiger again. Yeah. yeah. And there's a there's maybe a taste of uh, some Charlie Bronson in there. Um, <laughs> a little, you know, machismo, a little mandum, a little drop. But no, there uh, that, that that is a western that's on their service as well. Uh it's an overlook western. Um I have never actually seen it. I I've I've been meaning to watch it forever. I've had a copy of it in my possession forever and have never thrown it in. And uh, now I have a reason to watch it. So I'm going to check it out. Not the world's biggest Glenn Ford guy. Uh, Yeah, no. It's always been a bit stoic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe too uh, cardboard uh, cutout Western guy. But uh, I I do like some of the films he's done. I know we did the big heat on here, and I like that quite a bit. So Um, he, uh, he can be good. It's just not not the biggest fan. No, he was Clark Kent's dad. Yeah, I mean. There you go. He'll always be that. Mm-hmm. And Brando was his other dad. Yes. So not, that's not a bad pedigree. That is not a bad pedigree at all. <laughs> not even a little. <laughs> um, He had my two dads. Brando <laughs> and Ford. <laughs> I'm sure Brando probably never had a conversation with Glenn Ford. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. I doubt <laughs> it. Seems to me like two actors on way different ends of the spectrum. Hey Glenn. <laughs> hey Glenn. Uh, what do you think? What would you think if I looked like a giant bagel? <laughs> that would be that would be okay, what right? Do you, what do you think of these coconut shavings and this cookie? <laughs> <laughs> Is it, what do you call it? A macaroon? It's a macaroon. Mm. <laughs> eat, eat it. Eat it. Eat it like you love it. <laughs> just, just, just take take a take a piece of it. Take a piece of it. Go ahead. Well, the Marlon Brando impersonation. So. <laughs> Kingdom of the Spiders starring Marlon Brando. That would have been a different Ooh. movie. <clears throat> he would have been Rack. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been interesting. I wish he would have done more stuff like that. I really do. I wish he, you know, if you think about his career, he didn't really do a whole lot of B stuff. He wasn't, yeah, he wasn't really genre, a genre oriented guy. No, 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 he wasn't. I wish no. he would have, though, because he would have brought some, I think he would have brought some great performances to that world. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is what we are doing next week. If you guys have the Criterion channel, you can play along. Again, make sure if you go over to DiabolicDVD.com and pick up some releases, make sure you tell them that the GGTMC sent you. We always appreciate that. Um, Still the best online store for finding those very hard-to-find Blu-ray and DVD releases. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, They got some good stuff on there. Mm -hmm. And some of it is, I know uh, some people uh, emailed me and said some of it's a bit pricey. Well, yeah, some of it is, but you're paying for imports at that point. Yeah, and uh, their other prices are very reasonable, I think. And uh, but the imports, obviously, if if you're that collector, if you're that film guy, you're willing to pay that money anyway. Yep. Right, you're willing to pay forty dollars for something if you if you want that import. And sometimes I do because sometimes you get some special features you don't get everywhere else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so we are done. I think, man, I think that's it. We've went on for two hours and fifty eight minutes. The question is, can we make it last till th- now? Well, it's going to come in right. It's going to want to keep doing impressions. Well, no, yeah. Well, I mean, I know we could keep. I know we could make it last. <laughs> the thing is, though, I'm sitting there thinking about some of the stuff I have to edit out, some of the you know the quiet moments and all that stuff. I'm sitting there uh, thinking, uh. yeah, it's not. It's going to come in under three hours no matter what. But damn it, it's going to be a close. It's been a long time since we didn't want it this long though. It, it has been a while. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, so that is everything. With that, I will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 
Yeah.